Presents Black Glove Mysteries with Ian Urza and Gregor Mortis. Welcome to Black Glove Mysteries. I'm your host, Greg Amortis, along with Ian Urza. What's going on, Ian? Hey, how's it going? Great. This is episode 357, Double Double 28, and we got a good stack, a uh, couple of movies to talk about tonight. First one up will be, uh, we'll look at 1971's Ducio Tassari's The Bloodstained Butterfly. Uh, first time watch for me, I believe. It seemed like it was. And then we're going to be looking at 1964. I believe it was the uh, return of Ringo, uh, which is not a Jalo. It's uh, what would you call it? A spaghetti western, I guess. Yeah. All right. So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. So welcome to the show. If you're new, this is our Italian. Uh, I want to call it, it's the Italian Jalo episodes, but we also have ventured out into some Euro crime and different things. So I guess we we'll almost call it like the Italian horror side of things, right? <laughs> yeah. So either way, we're trying to keep it in the Italian realm. Uh, so super excited. Appreciate you tuning in. Uh, once again, this is uh, Bloodstained Butterfly as well as The Return of Ringo. Uh, Ringo. God dang, Ian. I said I wasn't going to say Ringo, and I'm starting to say it. <laughs> this is not the Japanese. This is, <laughs> this is Italian, I'm telling you. Really. So what's been going on with you, brother? Everything been going good? All the uh movies you've been watching anything different yeah i mean i've been i've been kind of doing some uh, i've been watching a lot of like hong kong action movies lately and that's been kind of fun nice yeah i seen uh are you doing i think you saw your first shaw brothers maybe i think i saw maybe not the first but i've uh I, i've i've uh i've been venturing out on those a little bit more i kind of want to try to watch more of them um i got the uh first volume of the arrow ones uh in a set um mm-hmm. And there's some some on Scream Factory. I'm thinking about ordering. Getting into all that Hong Kong cinema from the 70s and 80s is kind of fun because it's it's a little bit like getting into the Italian stuff where there's maybe not too many different, maybe not quite as many genres, but there's a lot of different filmmakers and and people who are in those movies that you have to become familiar with. It's kind of a, a fun exploration, mm-hmm. similar to how it was with Italian uh, genre cinema when I first got into that and. 
And and, I, and I'm still not even like to the end yet with all the Italian genre movies. Like there's still so many more I want to see. And I'm hoping at some point one of these companies takes a chance and and release uh, releases some of the uh, Italian like sexy comedies from the 70s. So we can finally get some of those out there. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm figuring Severin's got to start doing this. I mean, Severin, Severin or Cauldron, one of those mm-hmm. companies, I, one of those companies is going to take a chance on them eventually just because, you know, you get you have so many familiar films filmmakers and actors within that genre like specifically Sergio Martino I mean that was that was the genre he was an even bigger king of than any genre he had ever really any any other genre he had worked in and Edwidge Fennec and and, uh, Barbara Boucher were you know the the queens of those movies as well and you had other uh, familiar actors like Tomas Milian popping up in some of them so I I can't imagine that some company isn't going to take a chance on those uh, uh, eventually agreed totally agree and i can't wait because i'm with you man and and the 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 kung fu movies like growing up i remember um on su- i want to say it was like on sunday nights or maybe it's saturday nights i remember they used to have kung fu theater and uh they would have all these old you know 60s 70s kung fu movies and they were just so freaking ridiculously stupid but fun like they were always fun always got a kick out of watching them talk and then they're you know they do their language and all the lips would move and you're like hey, give me, give me. <laughs> it's so fun to watch but the action was always intense man i always love to see the action out of kung fu movies man and uh the sound effects the whipping and the cracking you know um it's always fun to watch so I, i'm with you man i definitely need to take me some trips down some shaw brothers for sure uh so if you're new to to kung fu cinema which we're not doing that but if you're new to it shaw brothers is a good place to start for sure well i i would say like if if you're a horror fan i mean they got some they got some horror type movies uh the boxer's omen being one of them which is one of my favorites mm-hmm. um and of course you got your kaiju uh type with uh, the mighty peaking man so yeah. you got you know you do have some mixture of uh, certain other genres within there yeah definitely um so definitely check them out if you don't have the arrow video streaming site i recommend it they have a bunch of these on there as well as jalo and different stuff so uh i think it's like what was it god i paid for it for the year it's like 49 dollars or 69 dollars for a year yeah i think it's like five or six for a month or whatever i yeah. think that's what i usually pay for yeah and i recommend uh, but yeah it. i mean and they have other types of movies we cover too the crime movies and the spaghetti westerns and mm-hmm. uh other like italian horrors well yeah so i recommend it man definitely check them out if you're into getting another streaming channel i get it if you're not but if you are i mean you can definitely uh get some of that stuff in there for sure and uh you 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 do good for by doing it. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino uh, claims that it's the only uh, it's the only streaming channel he subscribes to. I don't know if he means that like consistently, but he has said that before. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's cool. Well, hey Quentin, hey, you, I can't argue with you there, buddy. Uh, so cool. So what we're going to be doing tonight is we're going to be looking at once again the bloodstained butterfly from 1971, and then we'll go in and switch gears and go into the Return of Ringo, uh, which was from 1965 from the same director. So you know we're still in the same realm. So who are we looking at, uh, Ian, as far as director? What's the gentleman's name, and you got any history on him? I don't have too much history on him. Um, I didn't do too much research on that, but Tassari, Duccio Tassari, uh, he was he was a bit. I'm trying to think here. He was kind of in between that age range. Like I think he might have been around Fulci's age mm. uh, when he 
when he was doing some of these films or maybe a little older or, or younger, I'm trying to think. But basically he, he was another genre director who mixed things up quite a bit. He would do, you know, spaghetti Westerns and he kind of a little bit similar to Sergio Martino, where he kind of went through a progression of, of each genre as it went along. Um, he didn't have a very good career later on compared to some of these directors. Um, like he did a movie in the eighties called Texas and the Lord of the deep starring Juliana Gemma. It was kind of, it was it may have been his attempt at maybe not a comeback, but just trying to reunite himself with his old star. Mm-hmm. And it's based on like a, a rather well-known Italian comic, I think, uh, with like the text comics. And it's not considered a very good movie uh, at all. I remember the Midnight Movie Cowboys covered it on an episode and they all really did not like it very much. They had very few good things to say. So mm-hmm. uh, I think he kind of went through a progression, but unfortunately his career, um, I'd say fizzled out probably by the early eighties, but he was doing, you know, uh, like, like a lot of these filmmakers, different genres. I mean, he worked in the Polizioteschi genre. He did some, uh, crime, like movies that were giallo and crime kind of mixed together puzzle, which is a movie we're going to cover on our next episode being a big example of one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was looking up some of his filmography, sexy cop from 1976. Uh, the ones that get me, I think, uh, Ian, cause I was looking up there on Wikipedia. He got into that genre too. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I was looking up and they do call him kind of the father of spaghetti Western. I think that's because of Ringo and you know, the different movies like that, a fistful of dollars, you know, he definitely has some heavy hitters up in there, even though he didn't direct that he, uh, screen wrote it. Uh, but then you look into, I was looking down, you know, of course, like you said, puzzles uh or puzzle not puzzles <laughs> but well, what, I, what kiss, i'm looking kiss, at bang, here bang. he was the screenwriter on a ton of um of the the peplum movies before mm-hmm. he was even directing films i'm looking here and it's like just from 1960 1961 62 he, he wrote like geez at least 10 of these uh peplum films more than that maybe 15 so yeah the hercules. including some well-known ones as well that i've heard of so yeah i have yeah. never seen any of these movies like the hercules and the haunted world or uh goliath and the vampires i've never seen any of those i've have you? only seen a couple of those films and i do want to get into more of them at some point duel of the titans is one i've always wanted to watch that's mm-hmm. a rather well-known one but Hercules in the Haunted World is a good one. That's Mario Bava's, and his are the only ones I've seen because I saw the other one he did. Uh, I think it's is it Eric the Conqueror. I think is the other one he did. Uh, that was that. So I've seen those, but I yeah. haven't explored the genre much beyond that yet. Sergio Leone did one that's not entirely well regarded, called The Colossus of Rhodes. But I'm going to have to watch it eventually, just because it's, you know you know, one of only seven movies that Sergio Leone ever directed. So, yeah. <laughs> yep, there's your completeness, in you? <laughs> it, it's crazy to have OCD like we have, man, when you start trying to be a completist about things. You'll go down some serious rabbit holes, man. And sometimes it's hard to get out of them, too, once you get down in them. Uh, but it's still a fun journey, for sure. So uh, what we're going to do is we'll look at the Bloodstained Butterfly first. I do have a trailer I found online on YouTube. <laughs> Go figure. Uh, so we'll play this. And this one's going to be um, actually English subbed. So that'll be interesting. So let's, let's check this. Uh, let's check the trailer out.
Mrs. Marchi. On that shirt are the initials A.M., Alessandro Marchi. Now, will you tell this court what you know or not? Your attention, please. We are showing you some scenes from the motion picture, The Bloodstained Butterfly. <laughs> There's blood on your shirt. Group B and RH negative. As you recall, it's the blood type of Francoise Pigot. But for an innocent person, there always remains the hope that he won't have to reveal certain facts that will compromise him. And Alessandro Marchi is innocent. I visited my mistress. And the evidence, the evidence, all of which points directly to the accused, to Alessandro Marchi. the trailer super long a lot of music but that's all right. i did have a little bit of english um we'll go over to ian to give us the plot i will say i did see the italian version i did not watch the english dubbed version i don't know which one you caught but uh uh in the past actually i've seen i've seen the italian version twice before i got the blu-ray and then i watched the english version uh this time okay uh so plot is as follows a young girl is raped and murdered in a park. Several passers-by identify Alessandro Marchi, a local television personality, as a culprit. There is a trial for Alessandro. There is a trial, and Alessandro is put in jail for life. Not long after the conviction, the killer strikes again. <laughs> Pretty simple, but that's exactly what it is. <laughs> um, the English dub. I'm curious because watching the Italian version, I can tell that, of course, the English dub version comes over, and the translation is a little off sometimes. So I can tell that some of the the uh, the phrasing is a little weird in the English dub for sure, right? Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So here's my initial thoughts. I do not believe I'd ever seen this movie in, or at least it didn't seem familiar while I was watching it, and. Um, Actually, the first thing, and I think you texted me this early uh, a couple days ago or yesterday or something uh, about the musical score. And I've got to say, I totally agree with what you were saying. You were talking about the score just being outstanding. And it was, and that's Gianni uh, uh, Ferrio. I did really enjoy the music in this movie. I thought it was really a lot of classical. Also even had a hint, (laughs) 
<laughs> You're going to laugh at me. I know you are. But there's a moment when they do this little dun, dun, dun type. I don't know what the keyboard or whatever, but I swear I felt like days of our lives in my head. <laughs> I almost felt so poppery. And then all of a sudden, you know, the orchestra would kick in. But uh, still, I just, I really enjoy the the uh, music. Cinematography is really good in this one. I kind of like the opening of it. Uh, we open with some uh, scenery with a car driving and whatnot. And it's like in the shape of a butterfly. So it's blacked out except for an image of a butterfly. And that's what you're seeing is the backdrop thought it was great um it's a very heavy uh this one i would consider to be more of a, a courtroom procedural like most of the movies inside the courtroom or not most of it there's a lot of courtroom scenarios going on in here um so that sometimes can be a little wanting for me or a little wane i'm just like eh, i'd like to see a little more action but the ending i think the third act in this one really amps up and really brings the heat and I love the uh, overall reveal. I don't think it'll be a shock to too many people, but still, I think the ending uh, was satisfying. I think it definitely helped because there was a little bit of time in the middle where I was a little bit off, you know, wanting a little bit more going on. Uh, but overall, man, I really enjoyed this movie. And I know you'd messaged me about Helmet Burger, who plays Giorgio. And uh, what was the movie you said he was in that you wanted me to check out? Uh, Beast with a Gun, a.k.a. Mad Dog Killer. Gotcha. You kind of find another either title, I think. Yeah. So I did like the acting of that. Like, I liked Helmet Burger's character, Giorgio. Um, I liked that we had uh, Evelyn Stewart, who played Ida in this movie, uh, Maria Marchi. Uh, some of us will recognize her. Uh, she's definitely recognizable. And then you got some other actors. So overall, man, I, I actually really enjoy this movie and especially for a first time watch, I want to go back and rewatch it again with the English dub. Uh, I think I will be definitely picking up the butterfly, the bloodstained butterfly from arrow video. I think I will definitely pick up the Blu-ray. Uh, but what's your thoughts on this one? Well, I mean, I like the, I kind of like the, the police procedural aspect mm. to it on um, this. This is a giallo that's really heavy on that. Um, especially like the whole forensic part of it. Like when they find the body, they like take like a footprint. They like try to analyze like the skin underneath her fingernails. And they're like, Oh, the only thing we can find out from that is that the killer is Caucasian. Uh, they like <laughs> analyze like the, the, the like stain patterns that are on her coat basically mm. and like they tr they find that they find out like well because you know the killer has to have mud on his coat so that's how they find marky is like the number one suspect and they they trace back all the things that happened that day for both the suspect and the victim like they they find like her little journal with all her tickets uh her train tickets or whatever they don't find one for that day so that's how they know okay the killer must have, uh, you know, given her a ride somewhere and either the killer uh, had to, you know, either ask to stop at some point or she has to take a walk or something. So there's a lot of things they 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 infer just from little bits of evidence that they have. And the you know um, what, what makes the story a little more complicated. And I think it's safe to talk about this only because it's you know, it happens somewhat early on. But Marky is you know you're not entirely sure if he's innocent or not mm -hmm. but basically his defense and his you know his lawyer and his wife are having an affair so mm -hmm. they actually kind of want him to go to prison but the funny thing is is as i was watching i thought you know the lawyer's defense really is not bad like i thought right. I, I actually think he's kind of trying but it's not 
you know, nothing really sort of takes like there's some interesting parts where he's like, oh, 28 um, percent of all the cars in Italy or in um, <laughs> Milan or Lombardia have this have this design on the seats. So that means that that like that narrows the field of how many people could have actually been in, you know, could have had this car and it could be the suspect. And then he then he the the one woman who who saw uh, Marky, because uh, she was making out with her boyfriend in a car, like down the hill, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in in the park, and he like he like forces her to retrace her steps, and she's she apparently has to wear glasses because her eyesight isn't good, and he's like, oh, three times she recognized him, three times she wasn't sure, and four times she identified him <laughs> uh, wrong, which is weird. I'm like, how did that, why would they do that test over and over again? Like yeah. it's it's that was a weird aspect to it, but. And then the second half kind of changes perspectives a bit. It goes more into, uh, or no, Giorgio, mm-hmm. uh, played by Helmut Berger, and his sort of troubled, uh, affluent lifestyle. Uh, his character in this, he reminds me of a couple characters we've seen in other movies, actually. He reminds me of uh, Hiram Keller, Hiram Keller's character a lot in uh, Seven Deaths of the Cat's Eye. Like, he's like this reclusive member of a family, and he, he's obviously got some, uh, he's, he's kind of neurotic, and he also reminds me be a lot of uh, Cara Dulé's character in Black Christmas, mm-hmm. uh, a, a similar sort of troubled musician who has who you think might be have some mental issues. So that makes you think that they could be the the killer in this case. And I also like the inspector in this movie. Um, he's you know, he's smart. He sort of is figuring things out as he goes. Um, you know, he's able to put together something with a, uh, a switchblade at one point that a person bought, the, you know, who bought the two switchblades at this one store. So that's that's always interesting. And Silvana Tranquilli is, is a really good uh, character actor. Um, I, I, mean, I think we've seen him in some movies we've covered. But I mean, if we haven't seen him yet, then we're going to because he was in uh, Black Belly of the Tarantula, uh, Smile Before Death, So Sweet, So Dead, High Crime. Uh, big guns, which are covering next week. So mm. he's been in a lot of stuff. I actually get him mixed up a little bit with Carlo Alagero because they both look kind of similar. Yeah, sometimes I catch that with myself. Some of these characters do look a lot alike, and I'm like, <laughs> the one character I liked was uh, the Inspector Berardi, uh, Silvano Tranquilli. I was yeah, thinking, that's who I was talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like with him, I thought that like was he was the one that kind of pieced stuff together, right? He was the one that said, yeah. It, just by evidence, he's like, okay, he was doing this, 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 this. And I was like, I love that tight scenario because you, you see it on these shows like um, CSI or whatever, you know, these people, guys that are trained to do this. And it, I'm always baffled at how they can figure this stuff out by just a little clue or two. And this guy was a genius. Like, he's like, yeah, this, this, this. And I'm like, wow, man, just to be able to have the knowledge and the kind of the wits about yourself to know that type stuff or piece stuff together is insane. And I love that aspect of this. I loved how he's doing that. And I didn't mind the police procedural part of this. I think the courtroom procedural kind of, you know, got a little heavy from time to time on it where I was just ready for action to start. Cause this is not one of those that has a ton of action in it, but when it is, it's impactful, right? It gives you, okay, we're not getting a lot of fluff or we're giving you exactly what you need to see uh to draw your conclusions and that's what you're getting so i think they paced it out okay in that aspect and i think they gave you just enough to be satisfied by the ending of this movie it's one that i felt like i had to stay with through the whole thing though right like you can't you know get up or do anything like keep yourself into it 
you know, every once in a while, if you get in a little slower, a little drag, shake yourself a little bit and hang with it. Cause I think by the ending of it, it really pays off, or at least it did in my opinion. And I definitely can't wait to see this one again to even see if my overall rating goes up, you know. Uh, but overall, I mean, I thought that the the women were decent in this one. The male actors were decent in this one. So I think the acting's okay. I think the cinematography was good. I think, of course, the musical score drove this one, and I thought that was you know really great. I like how they were using the classical side of things. Uh, was definitely helpful. I did like that Giorgio's character, you know, that whole I totally see what you're saying with uh, Black Christmas, man, and different things like it. I totally see that. Uh, so it's kind of cool, man, that you can draw that, that comparison. But 95 minutes is not a super long movie. I mean, it definitely plays well, right? No, I think it's, it's well paced to just go in there with like a different expectation. It's it, go in there knowing that it's like a free procedural in a courtroom drama uh at times because it's not it's not argento is not or he- heavy on the kills what's yeah. up yeah it's not argento or a fulci just in your face kill movie it's not that no. at all uh so i think if we put that disclaimer out now you know that and then, then go ahead and watch it you know if you're wanting to see something like you know the what would be a good one bird with crystal plumage or something it's not that Okay, but it's no. not saying that this is a bad movie. I'm not saying that at all. This is actually a really good movie. It's just a different type pace movie, I guess you say. And even like how they, how like they, they, they cut between like the cop. Like there's a scene where the cop is giving the explanation of what the French woman was doing that day, and they cut between the flashback showing it and him explaining what was happening. Yeah, and he's like dead on for knowing exactly what was going on. So exactly, you have that aspect to it. You have like little things like uh. The director himself, Tuccio Tassari, showing up as like one of the witnesses uh, of the guy who leapt over the wall and he's he's trying to identify him like you. You got a lot of little things like that. Then you later find out that uh, Alessandro had a mistress of his own played by <laughs> Lorella DeLuca, who's uh, who was Tuccio Tassari's wife at the time. And she's in both the Ringo movies. And like you find out, oh, he had blood on blood on his jacket because she cut herself with like a glass that day. So <laughs> little things like that going on that I found interesting, like, you know, further developments of, of the mystery. Yeah. Yeah. I like that aspect of it. I mean, and that was like her character shows up like that was the one that was she was in Japan or something and she flew in. Right. And they brought her in. Let's reopen the case type deal. I believe that was the lady there, right, Lorella? Yeah, yeah. So I like that aspect that it gave that. Uh, it kind of brings in that that they open a case and they're basically like he's got to be innocent because this is the mistress, this is the girl, right? This is the one, and she verifies that this happened, you know. So, and clearly there was other murders taking place while they were in court. So can that happen, right? So I mean, obviously he's in jail. Somebody's killing something. It's got to be off. Uh, so I did like all these aspects that they were throwing at us, man. This one was written. I don't. It was written by Ducio Tassari, but it's also Gianfranco uh, Claricia, and I don't know. I don't remember that. He's name. done a lot of other stuff, and Has I remember he? them talking in the commentary about how 
this is actually one of his better regarded uh, films. Yeah, because I was trying to bring think, it up I, on Wikipedia, I, I, but because uh, he's done some other stuff, I yeah. just know that a lot of his films are not usually as well regarded. Although they're the type of films that you and mm-hmm. I would probably like. Okay, because I just the name just did not ring a bell to me. But then again, you know, I'm I'm old. <laughs> what do you think of uh, Gunther Stoll as the sleazy lawyer? Oh, dude, he was so great. <laughs> yeah, he's. He's exactly uh, what you would expect, probably. Yes, yes absolutely. Yeah, he, he nailed that. And while you're looking it up, uh, the English dub version of this now, did it take you out of the movie, though, for real? Like, Because so, I'm listening to the trailer, and I'm like, ah, kind of glad I watched it in Italian first, because I think some of the dubbing on this one would have hurt me a little bit, because I was listening to some of the dialogue, and I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> So I think I was actually pleased that I saw the Italian version first, even though... It's easier to watch English dub for sure. Actually, so this guy has done a he's done a lot of uh he's got a lot of good writing credits actually. I okay. think I think they have, may have been referring to in the commentary some of the ones he was doing at the time, but Strange Shadows in an Empty Room, uh Special Cop in Action, that's one of uh I th- one of the Maurizio Merli Polizio Teschi movies that he starred in. So and then he started working with Ruggiero Diodato a lot. He did uh Jungle Holocaust, Cannibal Holocaust, House on the Edge of the Park. Uh, New York Ripper, Murder Rock, Devilfish, that one's not good. Uh, and then he even worked into the late 80s on uh, like Delirium, Phantom of Death, uh, House of Clocks, another Fulci movie. So him and Fulci must have gotten along okay. Mm-hmm. And The Last Match is sort of his uh, last relevant credit. Damn. Yeah, did so do I, a lot of stuff. He did do a lot of stuff. So yeah, bust my ass on that one. Because uh, <laughs> I know a lot of those movies and enjoy a lot of those movies. So that's cool. So, okay, so written by Gianfranco Clarice. There you go, Gianfranco. Gianfranco, you, you do a great job. I think, too, now, as far as English dub, you got anything on the English dubs on this one? Yeah, so let me think here. Carolyn DeFonseca is dubbing the woman who played Gabriella, who's like the uh, the, the witness uh, mm. that they call to the stand, who, you know, the one with the bad eyesight or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I think Savannah Tranquilli as Inspector Berardi was dubbed by Ted Russoff. Ed Mannix is dubbing Duccio Tassari as the uh, other eyewitness. Uh, Susan Spafford is dubbing Ida Gali, a.k.a. Evelyn Stewart, as uh, Maria Markey. Uh, then I, I did recognize a couple others. That one scene where you got three cops in the room, one of the assistants is dubbed by Frank Von Kugelin. I'm not, I think Mark Smith is the one dubbing Gunther Stoll as the lawyer. Don't quote me on that, but I think I think he is. Okay. Uh, and Michael Forrest is dubbing the one cellmate that uh, Alessandro has in that one scene. Well, that's cool, man. So you did have quite a few on that one. Yeah. Oh, um, uh, yeah. The voices, the voices were definitely there in this one. And again, it's one of the, it's one of the ones that's set in Italy, and usually that means they have a specific dubbing cast and the voices I'm going to recognize. The ones that are set outside of Italy. They tend to use a different cast that I may not that I you know I just won't know the names as well because they're not really out there. Uh, this one was filmed in Bergamo, Lombardia, and Italy, so that is kind of in that area, and you feel it uh, specifically in the opening scenes. I don't think you really see enough to tell you Italy through a lot of this movie, but definitely in those opening scenes, man, it's such a beautiful aerial shot. Even though you're looking through a little small butterfly, <laughs> uh, but I always love to see. You know, 1970s uh, Italy, man. It's just freaking awesome. I would have loved to visit it back there, even though it looks so gritty and dirty. Like, I felt like 
<laughs> I'm not trying to be, if you're Italian and you're listening to this, I apologize. I'm not cracking on your country too bad. I'm just saying like, for me, it just feels like a, a dirty city. Like it's just, but so many monuments and so many beautiful buildings that it makes up for it. Right. But I watch a lot of these movies and especially some of those, uh, what would be one like Lisa, the devil, uh, the Tom, uh, the Tully Savalas movie. Uh, there's a few of those movies anyways, where there's some chase scenes and, you know, you see all these roads and they're in between buildings. Like it's like you'd get run over. Like there's no walk. You're in between buildings and it's just freaking insane. You're going down these mountains and there's no grass. There's nothing but just roads and, and houses. And it's insane to think about, but that's the way a lot of, you know, the, at least some of the townships are on the coast. So I watched some of that. And I was like, man, I'd love to visit, but I'd be, I'd die. I'd get run over. I'd literally get run over in not two minutes. I'd walk out and get hit by a car and I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing out in the road, dumbass? And I'd be, because I just walked out the door. I mean, but that's the way I feel if I went to Italy. I would be like dead in a minute. So I don't oh, know. I just thought of something. I I am pretty sure you you know at the beginning of the movie you got the the two girls the, the, in the raincoats the yellow raincoats yes. that end up finding the body or, or hearing the woman scream. Mm-hmm. I believe one of them is the is the same woman who uh, dubbed Bob at House by the Cemetery. No. It's the exact same voice. Yeah. <laughs> Are you serious? I got to hear it. I, now. It's the one. Yeah, it's the one who is. It's the one. I think it's the little girl who goes, uh, <laughs> who's doing the. Let's say the the hide part of of hide and seek. The mm. one who runs away. I think. Oh my uh, gosh. I'm pretty sure it's the same voice. Yeah, I just thought of that. And then the only other thing I wanted to talk about in this movie, there is a sex scene in this movie that's always given me like, I don't know entirely if this is a sex scene or a rape scene. I'm sure you know what part I'm talking about. But it's it's an awkward scene. Dude, like the girls full-blown crying and there's sweat and there's forceful kissing, and I'm I'm awkward watching this. I feel like House on the Edge of the Park watching. Well, because he, I, I, I don't know if, I mean, maybe the implication is that she's supposed to be a virgin, so she doesn't know, like, how much it's going to hurt or whatever. Maybe. But it's, it's still very, it's not particularly, I don't know, it's just a little uncomfortable to watch. I, I agree with you on that. I know exactly what you're talking about. And just the way it's shot where we're at in the movie it, it, just, it just throws off a weird vibe man i'm just watching this thing but then afterwards it's like oh yeah yeah maybe we should take it some time apart or something like that she's like you got another girl <laughs> like, what? i'll see you later <laughs> or i'll call you later like, Dude, you just look like you just got in a horrible fashion raped and then you're like yeah i'll talk to you later bye weird <laughs> only in only in italian shallow will you hear that uh, <laughs> well, and, and you got you do have like in this one. I mean, we've seen this in other movies, but you have your uh, you you do have some like pedophilia c- kind of stuff going on within oh, this movie within oh, a yeah. couple with with a couple of the characters. Yeah, especially uh, I with can't the give away character. too much yeah. within one of them, but there's there's definitely stuff going on with both of them. Absolutely. So let's look at this thing as a giallo. Now we do have a technically a black glove killer right we do have a gloved uh killer that has a hat you know we'll give them that even though you see you kind of know who this person is when you start looking they don't fully block out the face you know but still you got a gloved killer you got a razor blade or a switchblade knife used you do have a gun we do have <laughs> i do recall seeing a um, jmb uh scotch uh bottle on a, on a table somewhere in there i'm pretty sure uh, we do have the Astor cigarette smoke 
uh, cigarettes being smoked around. Yeah, that I did see. We did see that. So we do have some of these aspects that are in the jalos. So is this jalo? Absolutely. I will say it is 100%. I looked up, Ian, because I, I was one of... Uh, one of our uh, group members, I, mean, I can't remember who it was, mentioned or said they got the J&B bottle, right? Now, it may have been Brandon or somebody. But anyways, they got it. So I'm like, I, I still am looking. And obviously, I'm looking around, and I think in North Carolina, there may be something where we can't get the J&B scotch for some reason. I don't know if they're really? just – It's weird. It's odd. Uh, even Normally, can't it's even, pretty – it's, yeah, I mean, for it's not a very it's a pretty cheap right. uh, scotch as well. It's not exactly it's a pretty uh, uh, what you may call it bottom shelf product. Yeah, and I'm looking uh, like even at like Total Wine, which sells, and that's one of the stores I looked up, and they sell it outside of North Carolina, but you can't even get it delivered in North Carolina. So I don't know if there's something I don't know. I'm just I know I can get it in Maryland. So if I ever go yeah. visiting up toward PA again or something, I'm going to pick up a bottle. But uh, Brandon uh, Schaefer gave me an idea about going on eBay. He went on eBay and bought a used, you know, empty bottle. I may end up doing that just so I can have one. I want one. I looked up somebody, but it's out of China, but they're Aster cigarette packs. But they're just the the flat packs, so then you would have to fold them and do all that. But I still may do that because I definitely want to do me some kind of Jalo-type table set up. And yeah. I got, I'm not going to smoke cause I don't smoke anymore, but I want a cigarette pack out. I want the bottle. <laughs> you know? kind of fun, I got to have the phone. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, that reminds me, that reminds me of me not being able to get yingling in Maine for some reason. Can't <laughs> ever find that? it anywhere here. It's so crazy to think about it. I will find me a bottle though. And I'll probably try it and spit it out. Cause it's probably going to be nasty as hell, but it's in like all these Italian giallo films. So I've got to have one. Uh, yeah, I, I would not. It's, it's not, it's not very good. I, <laughs> And I'm not like the biggest whiskey you know, uh-huh. type connoisseur in general, but I've, I've not found J&B. Is it like <laughs> Mad Dog? <laughs> it's, like yeah, it's not. I, I, it's, you know, it's in other movies, too. It has oh. a pretty prominent presence in uh, The Thing, the John Carpenter movie. That's true. That is exactly yeah. right. Uh, about, <laughs> that was just a little rat. See, there you go. Rabbit holes. I go through rabbit holes. I do it, and then it's hard to get back out. All right, so here we go. Back to Bloodstained <laughs> Bloodstain, uh, Butterfly. IMDb listed as a mystery thriller. I will agree. Not horror. I don't think anything really hits the horror realm like most Jalos. Uh, so overall, it hits in the the field for sure. Has a lot of the moments that you need. The key elements is there. So uh, you got anything to add before we go to our rating? Um, not that I can think of. No, I think I'm good. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, first time viewing for me. I'm going to come in. I actually I gave it a four. So I'm going to give this an eight five. As a first-time viewing uh, on Letterboxd, I gave it a 4. I'm going to give it an 8.5, and I'm going to reserve the right to probably go up or down. I don't know, because I would definitely want to see the English dub version. So I think what I want to do is is definitely get a uh, era video. I definitely want to own that, so I can kind of have that aspect, okay? Uh, so where's your rating on this, and do you remember how many times roughly you've seen this one? Uh, this was the third-time watch for me, and the, the fourth-time watch, too, technically, with the commentary. It was Alan Jones and Kim Newman on the commentary. I will say they they have a good sense of humor. They may not be my favorite people for a commentary, but I, I always enjoy it. Um, just because Newman, Alan Jones will point will be able to point things out about the movie, and Newman's kind of just sitting there enjoying himself, and he'll compare compare it to other movies he's seen uh, to c- kind of get a relation to the others. Mm-hmm. So I, I did enjoy it. Uh, and then my rating uh, would probably be a nine. I really enjoy okay. this film quite a bit. 
Nice. Uh, so definitely a heavy hitter in 1971. We were doing, uh, if you listen to regular Land of the Creep episodes, you know that we started our 1970s decade in 1970. Uh, you did put one of the Jalos in your list, and you were mentioning off air or on your voicemail how that 1971, it really amps up. So I feel yep. like in 1971, 72, in our 70s retro episodes, top five, there's probably going to be some Jalos hitting my, my field of... of better movies in 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 my list will they make my top five i don't know maybe stay tuned you'll have to listen to those episodes but there's definitely some really good ones in these next couple yeah years. it's kind of like what the slasher movie did with um you know between 81 and 82 they flooded the market giallo movies even more so because if you look at it it's a weird balance where 71 and 72 there's a ton 73 not as much that's when it actually kind of falls off it's really only a two-year period where there there are just a ton being released it, it actually it actually um i'd say went through a decline even quicker than the slasher genre did because even the slasher genre even up until maybe about 1986 or 85 you still had quite a few of them being released not as many as in 81 and 82 mm-hmm. but it's it's definitely you know there's a reason why so deadly so perverse the first volume only goes from you know only goes till 1973 yeah. because that's when a, a, you know a ton of the giallo films were released and after that from 1974 till literally now you probably have the same amount that were released between 1963 and 73 and maybe even less yeah so that, that yeah. is odd to think about but you're exactly right it, it's it's just odd because i feel like you know that field was so many movies but you're right it's like it was only really in a few years span like it's, it's insane how many movies did come out well yeah and, and you think about it right the genres just kept go, moving on right 1974 or so the plesiotesky kind of takes over as the big genre late 70s into early 80s it became italian horror italian horror began a rebirth and at the same time from the mid 70s to early 80s the the italian sexy comedies were a very big thing mm-hmm. then you had your post-apocalyptic movies your rip-offs, uh, the cannibal movies went through a very brief boom in the early 80s. Uh, then in the later 80s, you started seeing uh, more rip-offs and macaroni combat movies. And a lot of these genres kind of came back a little bit. Like we, I think we've talked about before how the Giallo kind of came back a little bit in the late 80s, but they were they were definitely different movies. Um, they were more sort of, there were more erotic thrillers and more supernatural-based Giallos, like movies like Dial Help and Phenomena. So it did kind of come back a little bit, but not as not nearly as big as it was in the early 70s. Yeah, agree. Well, cool. Well, there is our first review tonight. So that is the Bloodstained uh, Butterfly. I will say it's definitely worth a purchase, especially at the $20 mark for Blu-ray. I recommend. I'm sure it's got a ton of features on it. Uh, Arrow usually does. So I'm going to go ahead and throw out it's definitely a purchase for uh, if you want to check it out. If not, you can watch it on Tubi. I didn't look anywhere else, but I know Tubi has it, and I'm sure it's probably... Oh, it's actually on... Uh, excuse me. I think it's actually on Arrow as well. And I think over on Arrow... or Maybe it's not. Anyways, it's on Tubi, so just check it out over there if you want to watch it for free. If not, buy that little sucker. Uh, so let's go into our last review tonight, Ian. And this is one which I'm loving throwing out at me, expanding my horizon, so to speak, in the cinema. And I love that because you're taking me down worlds of spaghetti westerns and uh, Euro crime and different things. And uh, this... This week is no exception. You're taking us through that world of, of spaghetti westerns once again. Uh, just a few episodes, we did look at Ringo. 
or the pistol, a pistol for Ringo, I should say. Uh, same year released is this one, which is the return of Ringo, uh, Ringo, damn it. And uh, let's go to the trailer. You first saw him in a pistol for Ringo. Ringo, the greatest hero of the West. I've come back. One day with my heart, heart full of pain. I've come back. make mistakes I'll explain afterwards they're already dead with fear not yet but they'll soon be dead if you really abandon them look at me Holly and count the Mexicans who are living here it's no contest what if the Fuentes hurt you it's too much for just one man and I've got a bad gun hand too here he is again, fighting a single-handed battle against injustice. Ringo returning to save his honor. Ringo returning from a long, grim war. I was dead. Who are you? No time now, Sheriff. I'll explain afterwards. I don't believe my ears. You heard what I said. I'd have witnesses if these two weren't up to the same tricks, but they're swindlers too. <laughs> Why don't you arrest him, Sheriff? Well, how about it? I wouldn't mind helping you. On behalf of the Sheriff, and in the name of the law, I place you under arrest. You must agree, Sheriff, it isn't difficult. Just make up your mind, that's all. I'll even help you to take them all off to jail. The return of Ringo. An exciting motion picture with an unforgettable cast. Montgomery Wood as Ringo. Ali Hammond as his faithful wife. Nieves Navarro as the beautiful, cruel Rosita. George Martin as Paco, the bloodthirsty gunman. Antonio Casas as the valiant sheriff. Fernando Sancho as Esteban, the ruthless bandit leader. The return of Ringo, the greatest of heroes in the greatest of westerns. Don't miss the return of Ringo. There you go. And man, I love that trailer. I love it. <laughs> I was telling Ian off it kind of sounds like freaking uh, Lone Ranger or something, man. It's just like, catch the return of Ringo. At a theater near you. <laughs> I love it. All right, so here it is. The Return of Ringo. Uh, I actually watched this when we did the uh, Ringo. and we, we had not decided that we were going to do this, but uh, when you had us do Pistol for a Ringo, I said, well, shit, I love that one so much. I said, here's the return. I'm going to watch it. 
and uh, was shockingly surprised that all the same characters are in there, but it's like a different story. <laughs> so it's like it almost didn't have anything to do with each other, other than every character that was in the first one is pretty much in this one. <laughs> but but anyways, let's, let's get into it. What's the plot for uh, the Return of Ringo? Okay, so I took this from IMDb. It's a little bare bones, but I'll go with it. Uh, once again, billed as Montgomery Wood. Uh, Giuliano Gemma plays a Civil War soldier who returns to to his family land to find his family decimated, his property taken over by a family of Mexican bandits and his fiance about to marry the Mexican gangster behind all this. Bent on revenge, he goes undercover, disguised as a Mexican, and discovers he has a daughter. Boom, 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 boom. Pretty simple. I got to say right away, I do love the cast of this movie. I really do, because I love the cast and pistol for Ringo. But, man, I always love to see, of course, Neves, uh, Navarro, man. We all got to love uh, Neves, Navarro. And uh, I like, I think the one that you always told me about was to keep my eye out for Fernando Sancho, who plays the villain, you know, the Esteban character in this one. And I think you say, like, he shows up a lot in those movies. And I can tell, like, he just has that yep. look. <laughs> He's got to be a villain. Has he ever played a good part, like a, a good guy? I don't think so but there could be some western spaghetti western out there where he plays someone who's you know i mean i've seen movies where he doesn't play like as big of villains as he does in this like in the big gun down he plays like a mexican police guy or something who mm. ends up throwing lee van cleef in prison so he's not a good guy in that but he's not like a to he's not like the he's not like the biggest villain of the movie let's put it that way but mostly everything i see him in he plays a villain and he's got the perfect look for the he for does. the mexican villain like he just has the look of every like all the um, uh, westerns I used to watch with dad and when I was a kid, the black and white western, he just has the look of a villain. Like it's just like that's why I was asking if you can remember Vinny because he doesn't look like he would be any kind of good guy. Like he just has the face and the build of what you would think a villain would look like, and he played it perfectly in two movies. So I'm assuming he does so well in others. I do, of course, once again, Montgomery Wood or uh, Giuliano. Uh, Jimmy or Gimme. I uh, love his character as Ringo, even though he's totally different in this one, right? He just in uh, Pistol, and I know we're going to have to go back to that one a little bit, but a Pistol for Ringo, he was such a smart ass, amazing with the weapon, you know, all this tight, smooth talker. This one, he's a little bit different through a lot of the beginning of the movie, right? He's war ridden, looking for his wife, and uh, it just feels like a different character to me. But where it goes later on, you know, he, he kind of gets into his own. But uh, what he kind of he kind of gets that same attitude back in the second half of the film when he feels a little bit more confident and in control. Like when he when he sneaks up on those uh, gunfighters who you know go to uh, the 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 sheriff's mm -hmm. the sheriff's office to the jail to get. Uh, Esteban out you know he has that he's like oh he's gonna be safe until he goes on trial you know he, he's got the that swagger sort of comes back when he shoots all those people and mm -hmm. even at the end when he's like you know diving off the roof and doing all that kind of stuff and you know saving his daughter there he gets he does get it back eventually yeah he definitely does Antonio Casas who plays the sheriff in this one who was the father in pistol for Ringo but totally different character but the sheriff you know he's got the shaky hand and uh, <laughs> I like that scenario in this one. And he finally gets his little straight, but he's able to get that gun back. Uh, this one plays well. I, I don't feel like it's as good as a pistol for Ringo for me, but it's still entertaining enough. You still get some shootouts. You still get those type characters. Uh, the flower guy, what is his freaking name? The flower guy in this one, he's the 
goofy character in Pistol, and then in this one, he's kind of goofy as well. Love that guy, man. I cannot think of his name right off the top of my head. Uh, you know who I'm talking about, right? Hadgerito looks... as Morning Glory. There you yep. go. There you go. Thank you. Good God. Love his character, man, in both movies. I just... <laughs> he just plays such a, almost not a Festus from Gunsmoke, but he kind of has just that <laughs> Gilligan, uh, whatever type character you want to put in there. He's kind of that goofball, but love him to death. Yeah. You know, he just, he couldn't be any other character for that. And he does it well. Uh, yeah, he's he's great. I love the part where he accuses them all of cheating at cards when he's at the table. That, that's great. <laughs> so this whole game is fixed. And you know damn well he can't stand up for himself, but he tries to anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know. uh, uh, Haley, uh, which is supposed to be uh, Pistol's wife, Lorella DeLuca. Man, beautiful girl. Love her in this scene, too. I like her in this one because she was in Pistol as well. Uh, I really like her character in this one. And... I, Putting in the scenario, basically, let's break it down. What happened was, you know, he goes off to war. He comes back. His wife has married this uh, guy that has took over this town. And uh, because of gold, you know, he runs the town, him and Esteban, which is George. What was it? George Martin uh, is the character uh, or the lead actor's name, I should say. Uh, Like him as a villain as well. I think he does really well. He's a, what would you call him, a dagger thrower or whatever you want to call it. He's, He's lethal with throwing blades i love that i like this movie a lot i think the pace is well uh it does like i said have the shootouts that you want in a in a western so if i'm new to the genre and i am uh i'm looking for certain aspects of a movie and it's got to have you know of course horse uh riding you got to have gun shooting and you got to have this has all that right it has the story that i like where he's kind of trying to uh i guess win his wife back or whatever you know, kind of goes undercover because he's got to get his wife back, but she's married to another man now. And then the child scenario kicks in. So all these things work like it works in this movie. I still, like I said, prefer pistol better, you know, or a little more, but it's still not that bad. You got the beautiful score in this one, man. The music in this one's outstanding. Ennio Morricone. Holy crap, dude, man. The music's outstanding in this one, Ian. Yeah, and um, there's a part of the score to the, the the track that plays when he goes to he goes to the desert to I, I think just to kill Paco, mm-hmm. uh, and then he sees his daughter with um, Hallie. That music that plays over that scene is actually the music that plays in Inglorious Bastards when. Uh, Christoph Waltz's character uh, orders all the Nazis to shoot all the Jews beneath the floorboards. At mm-hmm. the beginning of the movie, yeah, I've never seen the movie. I've yeah, never, it's mm-hmm. it. That's the music that plays during that scene. Oh wow! Now is that the scene where he's kind of hiding in the shrubs or whatever, and yeah. uh, she gets out of the? I got you out of the carriage. Yeah, definitely. Then I know. Yeah, exactly. it's like horror movie music that starts playing. Basically, exactly. It's very different from the rest of the score. Oh, totally. So, but no, the musical score is outstanding. It was in both movies. So, and of course, it's Morricone. So, of course, it's going to be great. Uh, what is your favorite? Do you know right offhand what your favorite Mor- Morricone soundtrack is? Just oh, this rabbit hole again, but Once Upon a Time in the West or Once Upon a Time in the Mer- in America, one of those two. Okay, all right, cool. I don't know. I don't know which one I would put number one between those two, but it's it's a candidate for those two. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is great as well. Um, mm-hmm. And the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly has so many parts to the score that you would know from other things. 
uh, especially the opening, but also the Ecstasy of Gold, which uh, Metallica uses for their opener at every concert, and it plays in a ton of Modelo commercials. Mm -hmm. I just don't, man, I'd have to really go back and listen to it because I love the Bird with the Crystal Plumage uh, soundtrack, Phantom of the Opera, yep. of course. Uh, man, there's so many. Remember we did the I, I like the one he did with, uh, for the Standall Syndrome as well with Argento. That's a great score. And, he did, and you know, he did, he did uh, scores in American movies that are good. I mean, The Untouchables has a great score. True, so. yeah. Yeah, so, and uh, the hateful eight, right, right, and even the thing from John Carpenter, you know, he helped. Yeah, I think that. John Carpenter did some of that music as well. He did. Uh, but what's interesting is, is the theme for the hateful eight was originally the theme he wanted to use for the thing, and and uh, Carpenter vetoed him on mm. that. A lot of the music in there is unused music from the thing. Wow. Uh, so back to this one, uh, Ringo. I think you know he is a a character that you know shows up really whitish blonde hair which looked goofy as hell. <laughs> look at him like why like i don't know if you have bleach out there on the field you know to do your hair like that because that's clearly not a natural color hair once he goes back to like a darker look and he gruff look i was like yeah all right now now you're back you're ringo they call him slim shady ringo in the, in the beginning <laughs> well he stand up well you slim shady please stand up <laughs> he did oh my god thanks a lot you know that's in my head uh <laughs> anytime i watch this movie i'm gonna say well the real slim ringo please stand up please <laughs> uh good well, then, yeah. you notice i they were doing like I don't I don't know if like what the proper term would be, but they were definitely doing like brown face in this movie oh, for some yes. of these people. Like there there's so much like tan tan stuff like on him. George um, Martin takes the disguise of the Mexican mm -hmm. on George Martin. I think even Nieves Navarro is a little like oh, yeah. tanned up as well. So yeah, they, they, they definitely do that here. Oh yeah, absolutely. This one was once again released in sixty five. So this one came out the same year, shot the same year, and that's so obviously if you watch these back to back like I did, uh if you watch both these movies back to back, Pistol for Ringo and this one, it goes well together, okay? So it does play good, even though it kind of feels off because I felt like the character's totally different in this one than he was in the uh first one. But still, all the characters are different, like one plays uh, a father next one he's a sheriff you know so the characters kind of flipped other than george martin and uh of course uh, uh oh god uh esteban's character fernando uh fernando of course plays the villain in both movies but it, it, you just got to get used to it you just got to throw yourself back and say okay they're not the same people right this is different characters in a different movie uh but still i had fun with it man so did you see the english dub of this one uh yeah it, it was the english one i watched i don't really recognize any of the voices though unfortunately like i've, I've heard the voices before but i don't mm -hmm. i can't put a name to any of them uh i do know the same guy who dubbed sancho in the first one is dubbing him here that i know I, i'm not entirely sure if ringo's voice is the same i think it is it, but, it sounded um, the same it, it really yeah did. i think it is but i don't know if i could put a name to any of them i assume mark smith is dubbing somebody because he's actually listed in the credits mm -hmm. uh playing the body of uh, uh ringo uh in the one scene where they find a different body for him so uh i i assume he's in the he's in here somewhere he could be actually he could be dubbing juliana Gemma's voice for all i know it kind of sounds a little bit like him but mm. i'm not entirely sure other than that 
Yeah, nothing. Yeah, nothing else to add to that. I'll, uh, but I did want to say too, uh, Duccio Cesari again uh, has a cameo as one of the henchmen. He's wearing like an earring at one point. Uh, he gets killed. Uh, Fernando De Leo, the writer and who uh, you know, guy who went on to be a prolific director of Italian crime movies, also plays one of the henchmen. Oh wow! I have to go back and watch it. Then I have to kind of pick out who they are. That's actually really yeah. Nice. With Tesari, I could see him because he's wearing like this really big earring at one point. He's like dressed all in black, and I think he has a flower <laughs> like he always does because he loves he uh, loves flowers. But uh, yeah, he's he's there. He's 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 there at the end when there's that scene where like Ringo traps two people inside a door, then he shoots a couple of people through a wall. I yeah. think he's he's one of those people. I do love that whole ending shootout. I mean, I love the one that happens in the town, but then at the at the villa as well where they bring out this weird Gatling gun. It's yeah. almost like an anti-aircraft gun mixed with a Gatling gun, and Ringo has to flank around, you know, traverse the roof and everything to kind of get in behind them. It, it's it's great. Those those final two shootouts are really fun to watch. Oh, I totally agree with you, man, 100%. Uh, and that's one thing that you got to have in these movies, and this one definitely has it. I was going to mention, I did watch both versions, the Italian and the English dubbed version. If you go to Era Video Streaming site, they had the Italian version over there but tubi has the uh english dub version so you can go to either tubi or era video to watch this one and i don't know anywhere else it's probably on other places i think plex has it in a few other places uh but you can check these out i definitely want to own these like i want the arrow releases uh, i've got the uh django which i love oh, once again i don't want to go down the django rabbit hole but lord god did i love that movie so much and I had bought that on Blu-ray from Arrow. So I was like, dude, I want to buy these on Blu-ray. Like, these are definitely rewatchable. And I uh, would love to just check these out. So they are available. Yeah, you get, um, to me, the one scene that I would say is only a scene that can happen in Spaghetti Westerns is the part when he gets his hand stabbed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that's that's like a it's like a category I, I've developed for myself where I'm like that this is only a scene you're going to see in a spaghetti western and it's <laughs> it's when he gets yeah it's stabbed in the hand. Yes. And uh, then he has to learn to shoot left handed. It's actually very similar to what happens to uh Clint Eastwood in a fistful of dollars. Uh, a lot of these spaghetti westerns have like hand mutilation. It happens in Django, it happens in the Great Silence. So it's it's definitely in there, and that's why you see uh, people like Quentin Tarantino and uh, Robert Rodriguez like to like to do that kind of stuff in their movies. Like Robert Rodriguez uh, has a, a pretty famous one in Sin City, the second Sin City movie where uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt gets his hands, you know, mutilated. And uh, I think it comes from their interest in these films where it just happens to the heroes almost all the time. Right. Uh, you can buy this on Amazon and other places, but if you want to buy the Arrow release, Arrow actually has a pistol for Ringo and the Return of Ringo on the same uh, set for twenty six ninety nine, which is not bad, dude, for Blu-ray, getting both movies. Uh, and once again, Arrow always does a bang-up job, so anything I see Arrow's name attached to, I would buy. Like, legit, I don't care what it is. If Arrow, If I see the Arrow logo... I know they put some stuff into it, so I'm, I'm all about it. But what do you think overall of this movie? Like, let's compare it just for a minute to uh, A Pistol for Ringo and then this one. Is it a good sequel? Did it wane a little bit? What did you think as a sequel? I really enjoyed it, and I like that it's it's based off of, you know, Homer's The Odyssey. It's a good adaptation of uh, you know, into a spaghetti western from that. I mean, just that, that story of, you know, him 
finding his you know long lost daughter and coming back home into town i i really like it 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 you know it, it tugs with the emotions with him you know finding his wife again and you know getting to meet his kids so i like that it's not the only uh it's not the only spaghetti western that's based off of like an old story like that. Uh, Forgotten Pistolero is another one that does something similar. I don't remember exactly what what epic it's based on, but it is based on one of them. Mm-hmm. Now, do you, did it throw you off having the same actors play in different characters in this one, though? No, not really. I, okay. It wasn't really a thing I thought about. If anything, I was kind of happy to have them back. I felt comfortable having them back, but it just threw me off for a minute when I started like okay that's and then i'm like oh wait no you're not so just it it took me a minute to catch on like okay these are not the same characters they just use the same actors rob zombie does it quentin tarantino does a lot of directors do it so that's just what it is but i I agree with you once i started watching it i kind of forgot and just started getting into the movie but that first few minutes threw me off a little bit when i see the the father from pistol being the sheriff in this one and he's a shaky hand guy so you know a couple of items were kind of off but once i got into it i was like forget it and I, i'm rolling with it uh um, you like uh antonio casas as the drunken sheriff too <laughs> i did i love his character man i liked him better in this one than i liked him in as the father in the uh first one i just i, I do like the you know he talks about being a white person in mexico he's like we're an inferior race <laughs> here uh the only way to survive is the inferior race is to not pick up a gun right and then you see his hand shaking the whole time you literally see him at one point his hand shakes so much that he has to like use his scarf as a way of like holding his glass <laughs> pull it to his face the end of the movie his hands just his hands just stop shaking because he yeah. stops drinking for like five minutes yeah and he's able to kill a few people actually which is cool yeah yeah, I love that, man. When I first saw it, I was like, what is he doing? I'm like, oh, he's pulling it to his face to drink. Okay, I got you. He's like, that <laughs> <laughs> was pretty classy. Uh, but overall, man, this is a lot of fun. What else you got on this movie before we go to ratings? I don't really have too much else to add, actually. I think I've said all, all I wanted to say. Uh, does Is this is this the best Nieves Navarro has ever looked? Like the best, <sighs> especially with the outfit she wears and everything. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, I totally agree with you. And I would say this or, or Death Walks on High Heels are probably the two. Yeah, definitely. For that. Yeah, definitely Death Walks on High Heels for sure. But no, I, I totally agree, man. Like they, they, they had her in a position and in a place where makeup, outfit, everything, they, they did her right in this movie, right? Like they didn't have her, yeah. you know, sleazed out so much. They didn't have her, you know, looking drug possessed like she would in some italian movie you know they they had her done right in this one so yeah i totally agree with you so overall man this was a fun watch man i think i gave uh we both rated a pistol for ringo a, a nine when we did this episode before so i'm curious to go to you in uh what is your rating for this one the return of ringo i'm still giving it a nine nice <laughs> never wane from it boy i stay where you at uh i'm giving it eight five for some reason i'm eight fives today you're nine so i love it uh let me get my paper bam as i write the notes down here we go so ian's giving it nine i'm giving it eight five i have seen it twice now ian so this is this is actually cool uh so i have seen an italian and i have seen an english dub and i will be buying this set uh once i start getting into all these spaghetti western so that is our episode in a nutshell right now we still have uh, some cool things that i want to bring to you as far as when we get into our next episode so what will our next episode be uh, ian so we are uh concluding our duccio tassari uh director's spotlight by covering puzzle and big guns which is uh, one of his euro crime movies 
I cannot wait. Like, dude, legit. I'm as excited to see Puzzle as I am Big Guns, but I can't wait to see both of them. But Puzzle is definitely one that I'm, I'm super eager and anxious to watch. I will be watching that really soon. So go ahead, listeners, and search these out. Puzzle as well as Big Guns. And you're getting exactly, I think, what you think, right? Big guns. There's got to be some big guns in that one, right? we got to have a dirty, hairy pistol yeah. somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, yeah, Puzzle, interestingly enough, is similar to the Bloodstained Butterfly. It's kind of a different type of giallo. It's a little bit more of like a uh, mistaken identity, like amnesia movie, where a guy is trying to remember who he is and everything he's been through. Mm-hmm. I love the poster art. If you go to Wikipedia, they have... Uh, it looks like a girl with pieces of puzzle and there's like a couple pieces missing. There's a, a pistol there and then you got the actor below it. Love the pu- uh, artwork of this one, man. It's definitely right up there. And it says Titanius above it. I don't know what Titanius means. Uh, uh that was, that's like one of the, uh, have you ever seen in a town, like any, uh, any movie on streaming where the, the Titanus logo pops up and, uh, oh, before the movie starts. Yes. Now. Okay. Yeah. I got you. I it has like you. that, mu- that musical fanfare and the, and the blue, I think it's all, it's all blue in the background it before is. it starts. Yeah. Yep. I love it. Yep. Nice. All right. Cool. Uh, so that is what is going to be our next episode. Once again, puzzle and big guns. So definitely check those out so you can follow along with us. Uh, this has been a blast. Ian, man, um, what you got in closing or final thoughts? Uh, well, so I got uh, I got a couple reviews up on my blog. I'm trying to take more time to do that. I got a, uh, a reviews of the first two Shaft movies, and I'm hoping to do review uh, of Shaft in Africa at some point coming up soon. So stay tuned for that on the good, the bad, and the macabre.blogspot.com. Uh, you can add me on Twitter and Instagram at Erzonomics. You can uh, type my name in on Letterboxd and add me on there, and you can add me on Facebook if you want. And uh, sometime around the time when this airs, I mean, it, it should be shortly, probably it would be after, but I'm going to be on uh, Hello, This is the Doom show for uh, covering Strike Commando. Yes, and that's uh, Richard and Brad, same cast yeah. back. Awesome. Yep. I love it. They took a little hiatus and they're back and I cannot wait. Um, go back and listen to uh, their old catalog, right? Go back and listen to some of their old stuff as they covered a lot of Italian cinema. Uh, great guys, man. Love both of these guys. And I cannot wait to hear the episode when you're on it in and every episode. Like I, I've got to go back because I think, you know, they took that hiatus for what almost it, it don't feel like it's been a year, but I know they were taking quite a bit of time off. I know he's wrote another book. The, um, did it, has it come out yet? I, I know I should have probably, I believe it is. I think it is out. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking it was. So, um, definitely look up Richard Glenn Smith. And what is the name of that guy? Jello Meltdown. Jello Meltdown. And this is part two. And uh, it's really cool. Almost like a diary or some kind of like catalog type book. So definitely check it out. Uh, so yeah. yeah Jello Meltdown 2 is is available on Amazon. Bam. So. Give old Richard Schmidt yeah. a, 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 a definite help right there. He purchased the book. It says Jello Meltdown 2 covers over 200 films that Jello fans just won't let slip into obscurity. <laughs> Are you brave enough to join Richard on this bizarre and probably foolhardy quest? There's only one way to find out. <laughs> if you head over to our uh, landofthecreeps.blogspot.com, look over to the right-hand side of the toolbar. We have podcast friends. If you go over there in alphabetical order, but look up, hello, this is the Doom Show, and they've got a link. You can click on that, and you can go to their uh, site right there where you can follow them. I recommend it. Definitely check him out and check out Richard's uh, YouTube channel. It's so good. Uh, he'll do his um, 
shelves. He does his shelves and parts, man. He'll go through some of his movies. It's all real good. Real good stuff. So, man, definitely check it out. I was looking at his last episode that they released was, uh, looks like a year ago, and it was called Curtains. The episode was about curtains, and this was uh, episode 257. So definitely go over. I love Brad and Richard, man. Great guys. Uh, so definitely I'll give them a big old plug because we're doing Italian cinema as well. So definitely check them out. So with that said, you can follow me over Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all them places. Stay tuned for uh, Mortis Vision, and we're going to sign it out. Till next time, as we always like to say, get your jelly on. LOTC presents Mortis Vision with Gregor Mortis and the Twisted Temptress. Welcome to Mortis Vision with the Mortises. I'm Gregor Mortis along with the Twisted Temptress. Pearl, what's up, love? Hey, everybody. Man, we're back with another episode. This is episode 357, double double 28, if you're keeping count. And, uh, love, we're going to be doing a TV series, right? Yep, a mini series. A mini, well. Actually, is it a mini series? I think it's like a TV series, but it is mini. Same <laughs> <laughs> <Take> thing. <laughs> it's not like a three episode. This is a, a full season series, so we'll get into the breaking down of that, and we'll do a few things. A uh, little small disclaimer: we do have uh, Lucian, as Pearl likes to call Lucifer, uh, <laughs> Church Mortis, our new kitty. So you might hear some noises in the background or hear Pearl yell every once in a while. Because, you know, he's attacking her. Anyway, so we'll we'll get into this and uh, just bear with us as we uh, try to record here and keep everybody in check. So, um, super excited, love. I'm excited. We're going to be talking Stephen King's Kingdom Hospital. Yes, indeed. And what we're going to do this episode, listeners, is we'll do part one is what we're going to call it. Uh, we do own the DVD, which is basically two DVD discs. Well, not two. It's four DVD discs. But... Uh, there is uh, two cases, I guess you say, DVD cases, and it's broke down. You got one through seven on the first case, and the second case you got eight through 13. It's a total of 13 episodes, so we're going to call it part one, and that's what we're going to review tonight. We're going to do episodes one through seven of Kingdom Hospital, so we got to make a disclaimer up front, let everybody know that we do spoil these episodes, so if you have not seen Stephen King's Kingdom Hospital, Pearl, I say we recommend a watch of that first, unless you don't mind getting spoiled. Right. Right. So uh, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. So it's Stephen King's uh, Kingdom Hospital. And like we like to try to do every once in a while is play the theme music. We did that with, uh, what all did we do that with? We did it with, um, so here's one here. This is Kingdom Hospital's intro, and I kind of dig it. Right. Yeah, it has a good song. It is a good song because it's like somebody's actual song. So it's not like a theme that they did just specifically for the show. It's actually a song. Uh, but here's the intro if you were to watch uh, Kingdom Hospital back in the day. So let's go to that.
there is the theme of the song or the show kingdom hospital which i think is really cool right love yeah and if you want to look it up it's worry about you by ivy worry about you by ivy there is the theme song i like it i li- actually really dig it and there's a few episodes where you're actually going to hear that song a lot yeah <laughs> and you're just going to be on repeat you're going to hear bye bye baby <laughs> <laughs> but still good but anyways kingdom hospital love uh this one first aired in 2004 right Yes. Uh, on ABC, March 3rd, and it ended on July 15th, 2004. I watched this uh, originally when it first aired, and I think I watched like the first three episodes, and then for whatever reason, I think maybe it was the night it was coming on or something. But anyways, I ended up not finishing it, and then I was just so far out of it, I couldn't go back to it. Uh, so I did watch the first three episodes, but, uh, we'll go ahead and get into the plot. But I think before we do that, when this thing first aired, right. Mm -hmm. Or on the first episode, it gives out a disclaimer. So let's do that. And then I'll read off the back of the DVD box, what this is about. So what you got on the, uh, it's like the, uh, beginning, it does something about the hospital, a hundred, some, whatever. Oh, it's a flashback. Okay. So the flashback. So let's do that. Well, the flashback shows us exactly how kingdom came. It's uh, 150 years ago, the Gatefall Mills employed 200 men and women, making them work 16-hour shifts, made them wear uniforms uh, for the army. Men wore, men wore at, at the Institute meant that they were slavery. Mm-hmm. In 1869, the mill burned down. Most got out. The fire started on the first floor. Uh, most of the children, children did not get out. So that's where... It becomes the realm of darkness. Years later, the hospital was built, mostly for EKGs, MRIs, and lasers, but this is when all the things started. <laughs> nice. That was a cool little intro. We needed that, right? Yeah. So on the back of the DVD box, it's, uh, this is a four-disc set. contains all 13 episodes of the critically acclaimed miniseries. It's Stephen King Presents Kingdom Hospital is the haunting new 15-hour drama series developed directly for television by the award-winning uh, best-selling master of horror using Lars von Tier's Danish miniseries Rigid, aka The Kingdom, as a point of inspiration. King tells the terrifying story of The Kingdom, a hospital with a bizarre population that includes a nearly blind security guard, a nurse who regularly faints at the sight of blood, and a paraplegic artist whose recovery is a step beyond miraculous. When patients and staff hear the tortured voice of a little girl crying through the halls, they are dismissive of any suggestions of mysticism or unseen powers, but at their own peril. So there <laughs> is uh, on the DVD box. It's Stephen King, right, love? Yeah. So this is one of the only ones that Stephen King did not write himself. This is basically brought out from this Lars uh, Ventier. He basically finished the play, the screenplay, to put into television but it was the kingdom uh which is this danish series that he took inspiration from so that's what we got and he's really proud of this one it says Mm -hmm. that he really does enjoy this one it's directed by craig r baxley who we know love he did uh rose red Mm -hmm. he did store uh storm of the century which we are going to review on this podcast really soon for uh mortis vision i know yeah uh but storm of the century rose red the diary of uh 
uh, what's her name? Uh, Rimbauer. <laughs> Ellen Rimbauer. Ellen Rimbauer and a few other stuff. Uh, so that's kind of, and his first directorial debut was Action Jackson. If anybody remembers the movie Action Jackson, uh, that was his first directorial debut. So this is set up in Lewiston, Maine, uh, as Pearl had mentioned. And, uh, you know, with all the kids dying at, you know, back in the, Revolutionary War or Civil War, whatever it was. It was back in the day, heyday, right? Mm -hmm. So all these kids, there are some definitely haunting ghost stories going on in this series. It's Stephen King. It's going to be that way, right? Yeah. Now, this freaking hospital is insane, right, love? Like, it's just <laughs> such a... The, I think the people in it are insane. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, the building looks ominous. It's very... Dark and dreary. Dark and dreary. The outside building's very tall. It's got this dagger-looking logo for the Kingdom Hospital, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it almost reminds me of House on Haunted Hill, the remake. Yeah. It kind of has that feel, but it's really weird. It's just really weird. So then you get inside the halls, and you got these doctors and nurses and everything that were introduced to the cast, right? And I think to have a, a TV series, you got to have a good cast. I don't know that this one's a great cast so far. We've seen the first seven episodes. They're definitely recognizable, right? Yeah. I mean... Especially uh, Andrew McCarthy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we know him from the original Brat Pack, right? Back yeah. in the day with uh, Emilio Estevez and the crew. You know, he was one of the original Brat Packs. Been in a ton of stuff, but, you know, most of you probably know Pretty in Pink and some movies like that. Or maybe you wouldn't because you're horror fans. <laughs> <laughs> but if you like uh, romantic dramas or what are they called, rom-coms rom or whatever, mm -hmm. stuff like that, you would know Andrew McCarthy. Uh, you also have Diane Ladd, a, a legend in, in female actresses. Uh, she's in this one as well as Sally Drews. I like her character, Love. Yeah, I do too. Do you want to talk about the characters before we even get into breaking down episodes who they kind of are we can okay so basically andrew mccarthy plays dr hook and he's one of the lead physicians neurosurgeons neurosurgeons and it's kind of what this hospital revolves around a lot of neuro yeah stuff so dr hook you can tell instantly he's you think he's kind of normal right he kind of reminds you of what a doctor would be like right yeah so we have him, and then the Sally Drews, played by Diane Ladd. Now, she's a... Clairvoyant. <laughs> Clairvoyant-type uh, lady who checks herself into this hospital multiple times. Like, she's been in here so many times, it's insane. Uh, they think she's like a hypochondriac or something. But. She's the one that likes to bring peace to those who are dying. She likes mm -hmm. to help them cross over peacefully. Yeah, and she gets to do that through this hospital. I guess we would go ahead and say, uh, let's go ahead and bring in the Dr. Stegman, who's supposed to be the lead doctor, neuro, uh, neurologist. <laughs> That's played by the great Bruce Davidson. I love Bruce Davidson. <laughs> the jerk. He is such a asshole. He's not even a jerk. <laughs> He's such an asshole in this er series. Everyone loves to hate him. In Everybody. Life. When there's a reason. And we'll get into talking about his character. Uh, but anyway, he is the lead neurologist. You got uh, Dr. Elmer Traff, played by Jamie Harold. I like Jamie Harold. He's kind of, uh, his dad is actually one of the uh, members in the uh, hospital as well. But he's more of a, what would you call him, more like a uh, nurse? I guess you call him nurse practitioner, even though he's supposedly technically a doctor. Yeah, he's kind of like his assistant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've got uh, Dr. Lona Massengale, played by Sherry Miller. 
I think that's the love interest of of uh, Doctor Stegman. Mm-hmm. And then you've got you got to talk about Ed Bagley Jr. <laughs> now that's Doctor Jesse James. Yeah, you heard it, Jesse James, and he's the leader of the whole hospital, right? He's he would be like your head honcho, the the guy that runs this hospital. Yeah. And uh, holy cow, is this dude a nutcase, ain't he? Um, and then you got Nurse uh, Carrie Von Trier. Uh, that's played by Lena uh, Gorgas. Gorgas, I guess it is. Georgas. <laughs> and I believe she's the one that passes out all the she time, hates, right? She, she hates <laughs> blood. Like, she cannot see blood or anything. And she's a freaking nurse. Like, it's insane. <laughs> the reason this whole show, Peter Rickman, he's the patient. Jack Coleman is his real name. But Peter Rickman is uh, where the show kind of focuses around a lot. Yeah. You know, he's brought in. There's a car accident. And we'll get into this. But... He's brought in, and uh, kind of some things take place around him. Uh, you got Otto, played by Julian Richens. I love Julian Richens, man. He's been in so many shows and movies, and uh, he's he's the security guard type character <laughs> they can't hardly see, right? He's got Coke bottle thick glasses. And a big German Shepherd. Big German Shepherd. It's hilarious to hear him. He's always on the microphone calling like, Oh, can somebody come to... And he's real... It's just hilarious. <laughs> man. I love his character. Uh, who else do we have of, of notoriety here, love? Natalie Rickman, played by Suki Kaiser. That's Peter's wife. Mm-hmm. Like her character. Uh, you got Nurse Brick Bannerman, played by Beverly Elliott. Wow. Oh, yeah. Allison, Allison Hossick plays Dr. Kristen Draper. Uh, she and Dr. Hook are kind of the two... I would call them the two main doctors here, right? Yeah. They actually have some sensibility about them. They're not completely over the cuckoo nest. Yeah, true. And uh, then you got <laughs> you got the, the Antibus, <laughs> which is this creature, this... Uh, aardvark. Aardvark, anteater-looking creature, except that the end of the snout is like a mouth that opens up with these gigantic teeth, and it's weird. I mean, this creature is weird, uh, but I guess it's the voice... He's because kind of, he's kind of like a justice you do for me as I do for you. But yeah, if you he, are yeah. mean, he'll make sure he knows. Exactly. How yeah, to he, he's that. a protector, but he can also be a destroyer. And that's played by Burkett Turton. Burkett Turton, even though it's a creature. I can't remember. Is it Abel? I think Abel is the Ab- bad. Abel is um, played by Brandon ba- Bauer, one of my favorite characters because he's, he's a trickster. And he has a companion, Christina, and they're like, they're two orderlies yes. that work in the kitchen, but they like to play jokes, matchmaker, and they like to also, they also hear things and know more things than what others know. But they have a disability, but you yeah. you don't see it because yeah. they do their their. Oh, they're stuff so, so well. They're, they're one of my favorites. They are. They have Down syndrome, and but they are... Two of the best characters in the whole show. Absolutely agree with you, love. I do love their characters. Uh, I was trying to find who the uh, the kid is, though. Um, Jodel Furlan is Mary. Yeah, and, okay. Mm-hmm. And Ketan Turton is Paul, the bad, evil boy. What's his name again? Kenton Turton. Okay, so Paul. Uh, so he's kind of uh, the villain, I guess you would call him in this episodes. That haunts the hospital. Yeah, that haunts the hospital. He's the bad guy. He's, he's like a vampire, too. Yeah. Vampiric teeth. Some creature. But you can tell by the clothing that he's from uh, the the past. 
as well as Mary, once again, as Pearl mentioned, Jodell Furlan. Uh, you'll recognize her right away. I mean, she's just got such a recognizable face. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is your characters, okay? So that's your cast. Decent cast, right? Yeah. The setup of it is, and we'll just break them down by episodes. We'll give you the episode names, but we're just going to kind of give you an overall overture of this show, right, love? Mm-hmm. I don't know that we'll go deep, deep, deep diving, but... We'll definitely give you what we thought of the show for sure. Uh, so the first episode here, love, is called Thy Kingdom Come. <laughs> right? Yes. This one is where we get to see the premise of the whole show, right? So this is that episode that needs to be impactful. It needs to be something that grabs you, right? Intention grabber. And it definitely grabs your attention, right? Yeah, because we're introduced to a jogger. <laughs> we are introduced to a jogger, Peter Rickman. And uh, he's he's a painter. He's a famous artist, a famous painter. And uh, he's leaving his house. And evidently he does this on a regular basis where he puts his headphones on. And uh, this is in Maine, so it's rural area. And he's out doing his morning jog or day job or jog or whatever he's doing. But he's jogging with the music playing. And something tra- tragically happens. He's hit. <laughs> run over by a man in a van. It's a stone. Who wasn't, who wasn't paying attention because he was busy fighting with his dog trying to eat his sandwich. Yeah, the dog's in his van trying to eat a sandwich, and he's getting on his dog, and then he he basically hits uh, Peter, messes him up pretty bad. Oh, God, the way he looked, yes. It looked horrific. And it was, while he's laying there, you know, the guy does stop, he does get out, and he's like, oh, man, and he's like, oh, man, I can't get no points, I can't blah, 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 you know, I can't I can't handle this, man, I'm sorry, man, and he ends up driving off and leaving him uh, off to the side of the road, and he is off, kind of off the side of the road for, I don't know how long he was there, I don't know that they even said how long he was there, but he was left there to kind of die, but we, luckily a guy in a truck. But meanwhile, poor thing, he was also too, like, Awake. You know, awake. Yeah. Not feeling nothing, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. But seeing the weirdest things, like seeing a crow talk to him. Yeah. Seeing, and then all of a sudden he sees an aardvark. Yeah. <laughs> we see, Ant- we don't know at a time, but we see Antipas come up. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is, it is weird because he, it's almost like an outer body experience. He can, he's awake, he's alive, he can hear things, see things, but he can't move, right? Yeah. And other people can't see him move or do anything, so... You know, he's trying to talk to people, but they can't hear him at first, you know, but he's trying to talk to them. But it's a tractor trailer, like a big truck comes and uh, sees him, luckily, because the Antipas drags him out closer to the road. You do for me, as I do for you. That's right. <laughs> and the guy stops and helps him, and that's when the ambulance comes and picks him up and takes him to the uh, Kingdom Hospital, and that's where the show kind of starts. Now, one little tidbit we'll give about that was... Uh, Stephen King wrote that character in as a, it's almost exactly what happened to him. Yeah. You know, and that's why he put that in here because he was hit doing a jog. Uh, fortunately, whoever hit him actually stayed and checked on him and got him help and everything. Unlike this one, but still very similar to what happened to him in real life. So I know that has to be a little eye opening when he watched this filming, I, I bet you it had to be kind of a, you know what I mean, <laughs> type feeling. But uh, anyway, so we got that. So the first episode is we're, we're getting Dr. or Peter Rickman brought into the hospital. We're starting to get introduced to these doctors. We're starting to see how this hospital is going off a little awry, right? It's not 
not to also forget to mention, oh God, the EMTs. Oh, sh- ding dings. You, yes, you would not want them to be helping you with no. anything, but they did get them to. They saved Kingdom him. Hospital. They did save him. They did put the jaws of life on him or whatever. Did bring him back <laughs> to life because he about died. And they do get him to the hospital. But inside the hospital, that's where all the characters are being introduced. We're getting introduced to the doctors. We're getting introduced to the nurses. We're getting introduced to Otto. We're getting introduced to everybody. Everybody's getting introduced. And it's kind of dark in there, like dark and dingy. Which one of the first people we get is Diane Lang. That's true. Diane Ladd, yeah. Ladd. And, um... I do like her character, but we, we don't know who she is right at first, right? We don't until, like, the first one who sh- takes notice that she hears something mm-hmm. when she's in the elevator. They're yeah. trying to transfer her to another room, and, you know, she's... Which is odd, because i never known a hospital that would put a patient in the elevator and just leave them there and to yeah. be transferred to another floor. Yeah, it's funny, because <laughs> that's what happens on here is the fact that that's... These elevators let patients in them unattended and just let them. It's just odd. And here it is like there's this little, uh, what do you call it? A uh, uh, ritual that all the doctors do. And it's mainly because of, it's, it's so mainly because stupid. of Dr. Jesse James, Ed Bagley Jr. They do this thing where they blow on their thumb and it makes it look like their pinky goes up. You know, when they walk by <laughs> each other, there's this little thing. Uh, so anytime you see Ed Bagley walking by, everybody will do that little. You know, that means everything's cool. Everything's all right. You know, everything's good. Because uh, Ed Bagley has jack crap to do with this hospital. Other than he's trying to get his buttons and his pins and his flyers to Morningside something or whatever. And I think he's actually trying to sell the hospital. Uh, but there's earthquakes that keep happening in this hospital. Yeah, they don't know which we come to find out that one of the guys there is there investigating mm-hmm. those shakes. And that's kind of what, you know, was kind of the clue to saying that that hospital's awake. Yeah, because every time the earthquake happens, and they're on a fault line, but I mean, this is in Maine. Mm-hmm. This ain't in California. <laughs> no. You know what I mean? So, but they keep having these, and we will find later on that it is due to the hauntings. It is that this hospital has definitely, because it is built on the location where the original had you know, burned down and all. There's a lot of stuff going on here, right? So the earthquakes are typically happening due to some haunting and some, you know, some things taking place. We'll find out later in a few episodes. Anyways, that first episode gets started and we, like I said, we get to learn about the characters and who Peter Rickman is. And uh, I enjoyed that part, right? So, I mean, the episode, I think that one was like two hours, if I remember right. Yeah, the first one, yes. So, two-hour-long episode one, uh, it shows, according Wikipedia, the U.S. rating was 14.4 million U.S. viewers and a 9.8 uh, rating share on it, okay? So, 14.4 million viewers on the first episode, and unfortunately, from there, it goes down. But anyways, <laughs> that was, uh, episode one was a hit. Uh, was there anything else in episode one you want to talk about? Okay, so we'll move to episode two, which is called... Death's Kingdom. <laughs> Death's Kingdom. A week later, this was uh, first aired on March 10th, 2004. And this is uh, where the <laughs> this is where the guy that actually hit Peter Rickman, mm-hmm. okay, the sheriff go or one of the police officers goes to talk to him, 
and he's up on the uh, on his roof, right? He's high as hell. He's got all these patches all over his body. <laughs> and we go to find out, I guess they're nicotine patches. Yeah, and you, what, he had about 30 on them? <laughs> yeah, like, dude, you are straight up high as fuck. Like, this dude was totally out of his mind, right? So he's on the roof. Officer shows up. Like, man, I need to talk to you. And then he looks over and sees the van all smashed up. And he said, I need to talk to you about the van. Why is your van smashed up? I don't know nothing. I, I didn't see him. <laughs> yeah. He just totally just gave himself away. So the officer's like, I need to see you now. And he ends up falling off the roof. And the way they made it fall looked hilarious. I mean, it's not funny, but it was. Because they did this whole, where the camera's watching him fall at you. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh! And it's... <laughs> I'm going to be honest, like some of the effects in this show is is really bad now. <laughs> probably then in 2004, probably looked really good. But as you watch it now... It was passable then. <laughs> it was passable then. Not so passable now, I'll be straight up honest. Some of the effects are pretty bad. The anteater too. But you can't fully do something that wasn't made today. You know? True, true. <laughs> but in a person watching it today's eyes, they're going to be like, woof. <laughs> It's like well, when you go back well, and watch... they got to remember what year it came out. That's true. You go back and watch Dukes of Hazard right now, not a good show anymore. <laughs> back when I was a kid, I lived it. Uh, but anyway, so he falls off. We, we don't know if he's dead or alive yet because it cuts scene and goes to the hospital again and we start seeing some hospital stuff. But he has ended up uh, brought into the hospital, right? The ambulance... Man, these paramedics are busy, right? They're just all up in there. <laughs> Uh, so they are brought to, or he's brought into the hospital and to be worked on. I think what we should do, because I didn't mention this in the first one either, Love, was the fact that we didn't mention how that Dr. Stegman's car, how he came in hot and heavy, right? Mm-hmm. How he was upset. I mean, Dr. Stegman, he is an asshole, like Bruce Davison's character. I'm telling you, straight up asshole. Everyone loves to hate him. Everybody loves him. So he shows up in episode one and he's driving his Jaguar car or whatever it is mercedes or whatever and um there's some people some homeless people across the street that's staring at him the whole time he pulls up it's supposed to be a handicapped spot he puts a brown bag over it you know parks there and everything he's <laughs> but his driving though the way he was it's driving horrible. to get there was horrible and yet he's the one turns around and says learn to drive i know he like <laughs> runs off the road and almost kills somebody he's like you need to learn how to drive and you're the one that ain't paying attention and can't drive but he pulls up to the parking lot. He parks in a handicap, puts something over it. so Paper bag. Yeah, you know, paper bag so it doesn't look like it's handicapped, right? So uh, the guys across the street are laughing at him and everything. He's getting pissed off. He brings out one of those uh, steering wheel jacks where you put on the <laughs> steering wheel so you can't steal it. And then he brings out an actual, one of those uh, hubcap locks, boots. the boots. <laughs> And puts a boot on his car. I'm like, holy crap, dude. Are you serious? This is the asshole that he is. Well, we get to see through the next few episodes that guy ends up, you know, putting a dent on the side of the car because he parked it in the uh, wrong spot. <laughs> Your two favorite characters writes... Um, something. Was, oh, I forgot. <laughs> I did, too. It's something they wrote down the side of a paint. Like, they're painting... Oh, shit. It's some phrase. That, <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> So needless to say, when he eventually goes out to find his car that way, he's pissed, right? He is he thinks pissed. He thinks the guy's across the... Yeah, the homeless people. And that plays out into some of the episodes now. Mm-hmm. Because he's got a ven- vendetta up against the homeless people now when it wasn't them. You know, it wasn't them at all. But anyway. So once again, we go back to episode two and we got him where 
uh, Peter's hit and run drivers brought in. And we're also seeing, oh yeah, that's when Dr. Stegman doesn't want Mrs. Uh, Drews there. He's like demanding why she's still here. You know, we need, she doesn't need to be here. Somebody needs to, you know, remove her now. Yeah. So we're, and Dr. Hook's trying to keep her there. And this is when I think they were in the elevator, right? Yes. Episode two. So they're in the elevator and they're, she keeps hearing the girl's voice. Well, he ends up hearing it. She said, you heard it, right? And he said, I did hear something. So he goes on top of the elevator, climbs out of the shaft onto the top. And when he looks up, he sees what he thinks is a girl. Mm-hmm. Well, we know because we're watching it that it's Mary. And there's a doll, Mary's doll, on top of the <laughs> elevator. Now, I haven't fully, because it hasn't showed in the first seven episodes, right? Yeah. That doll's got to play something like she's wanting that doll. Um, I, we know that, but she hasn't, in the first seven episodes, she's not reunited with it. But Miss Drews does have it. Uh, but anyway, so he comes down and has the doll with him and she's all excited, right? Mrs. Drew, she's like, oh my God, we got it. We got to get the doll to her, right? Mm-hmm. We got to get it. We got to reunite the doll because she knows, you know, it's a spirit. You got to reunite the spirit with its, uh, item or whatever, or it'll never be rest in peace. Right. Yeah. So that all takes place. And then, uh, I can't remember what all happened because all these run together. That's one thing I'll say, is that all these episodes run together. They run together, but they're like also a slow introduction to each one. Like, I mean, on this one, we're introduced also to, you know, the obviously the guy who hit him and why he's been in trouble mm-hmm. prior before. We get introdu- introduced to the, the psychic and her son. Mm-hmm. Um also, as well, the surveillance guy and his dog, which the dog knows that there's something going on. Even he, through the surveillance, kind of sees the little girl, but then in a flash, she's gone, so he's not sure what he sees. Yeah. And, you know, and of course, the introduction of Mary, we know that there's a spirit, and and that's when the first uh, shake happens mm-hmm. in that hospital. And that's when the guy comes in and says, you know, I'm here to investigate because these don't belong here. Yeah. So that's what we got going here. The uh, rating on this one was 8.5 million viewers. So it dropped from 14 to 8 on the second episode, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go into episode three. Oh, gosh. Called Goodbye Kiss. Yeah. All right. Now, this one, this is where he does become, seeing. that's when he sees the ghost. I'm sorry. It was episode three where he saw the ghost of Mary or a spirit. He thinks he's seen her. He still fully he doesn't know what he's in the seen. end of the second. Yeah. And it continues so, on the third. Exactly. And this one, we're introduced to another character, which is the bad guy, the prisoner. Yeah. And and his uh, crazy girlfriend. Yeah. They basically, this guy is in prison and he gets an envelope. And then we see a girl, uh, a woman outside that we know now that they were boyfriend, girlfriend or whatever. And they end up doing this thing. Uh, he, she gave him some kind of white powder and stuff or crystal. And we find out that it's rat poison and they basically had made a suicide pact. They were going to kill each other at the same time. Well, she dies. Guess what? He don't. He ends up in the hospital. (laughs) It didn't work for him. Uh, he does get some bloody eyes though. Well, if you watched her, she was impacting those little hearts. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. She was doing a lot more than he was. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know that he really wanted to die as much as he just wanted to get out of that prison. <laughs> and he'd I, done just enough to get himself out of that prison. I think there was a reason for him that uh, that was needed for him to stay alive as we come to find out by that art bark. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we see that Dr. Stegman saves him. Uh, this one also has the mal... We find out about the malpractice Mm -hmm. lawsuit against Dr. Stegman, why he's even here. Like, he keeps always talking about Boston General, right? Yeah. He was a big doctor there. Well, we find out now why he's not there and why he's in Kingdom Hospital. Well, we find out why Kingdom Hospital is the only hospital that would take him now. Yes, <laughs> because he basically killed a girl. He killed a patient. And there was a big lawsuit, so this is the only place that he could go. And there's that big malpractice thing over his head. So we got this going on in here, and he's... <laughs> and he gets in trouble again. <laughs> yes, because of a patient that he's trying to do a brain surgery. There's a tumor or something, right? Mm-hmm. They take a little too much, and the girl ends up being... Not brain Not dead functioning. Fully. She's not brain dead, but she's not fully functioning now. She's like, don't you know left from right? You took out the wrong side of the brain. <laughs> yes, the mom goes off on him because she knows him, right? Somehow, evidently, he's not... Like, it's known... She looked up his history and found out that he... Had that on him, yes. right? So, he basically... She goes off and saying that she's going to sue him, and then he goes ballistic. You know, just calling her every name in a book, and that his lawyers will take care of this and that, and then he just storms off, right? Yeah, meanwhile, nurse Dr. Brenda. Yeah. Because find out that she's the love interest. Yeah, she's the love interest, so she's, like, all about him, right? Yeah. And then we have... Um, Oh, and this is where Peter, Mary comes to visit Peter. True, yes. So Peter, who's still in what we, semi-coma state, he's not in a coma, but he's in semi, you know, not functioning state. The wife is there all the time with him, and there is times when he opens his eyes. Which that was the one part that we forgot to mention that pissed me off so bad. Which that one? the wife was worried, she was cooking, she didn't even know, she was expecting her husband to come home. She was noticing it was late. Then she hears something on the news, of, you know, about, and she's like, please don't let it be him. And at the moment, she gets a phone call and says, oh, your husband's at Kingdom Hospital, blah, blah, blah. And she's mm. like, really? You have to hear from the news and a phone call? Like, yeah. Like, it, that's one thing, too, because you know nowadays that they don't break any names out until the person has been contacted. Yeah. Or someone close to them in a family. This one, like, she straight up, pretty much heard it from the news before mm. she even heard it from a phone call which i thought was odd but yeah that, <laughs> yeah that was because you would think you would sense that why is he late you know what's going on or you think somebody would have already got in touch with her or something but that was odd uh but no episode three was really good it is and like you said you know mary does come to um peter you know because she says she needs help mm-hmm that's when the other one needs to find out what the little girl's name is and she's looking all around to see where she can get that help from yeah so that's what i like about this one because this one definitely has a lot more introductions we got the prisoner guy character coming in we got mary we got a lot going on on this episode and it's starting to pick up business but it still dropped another 1.4 million viewers it dropped from 8.5 to 7.1 uh, for episode three. So the rating is definitely dropping, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. And then we get in episode four, Love, which is called The West Side of Midnight. 
Okay, the west side of midnight. <laughs> and uh <laughs> Car- Carmon, this one. Oh my gosh, is it not? Uh so what we have here, love, we got first of all uh, we got the woman that's a nurse. We find out is ex-wife to one of the doctors there, Dr. Traff. We got this woman nurse looking after this elderly guy at his home. Mm-hmm. She thinks he's died, right? Yeah, because she didn't pay attention to the machine that is at uh, the apnea. Sleep apnea yeah, thing or so whatever. You, you know, if anyone knows about that, you know, like the breathing so low, almost undetectable. Yeah. Doesn't mean you're dead. <laughs> right. She can put the mirror up to his nose and everything. And then she's like, all right, well, you know, basically like good riddance. She throws a sheet over him. And what does she do immediately? Pickpockets him. Goes and grabs his wallet out of the cabinet and just takes all the money. But then she goes, we can't be greedy. And she puts $5 back in it. <laughs> like, you bitch. But karma, as you mentioned, which is instant 99% of the time, right? <laughs> yep. As soon as she turns with that money, he wakes up like, oh. <gasps> Like that, and she ends up having a heart what attack. What the hell are you doing in here? Yeah, and <laughs> she just her heart just quits. Like <laughs> that's one time I don't wish a heart attack on nobody, but that's one time that I was like, "You go, <laughs> you go." Yeah, because you bitch, you know, you fucking bitch, stealing from a man that you thought just died. That's that's about as low as you can get. Right. So she ends up in the hospital, <laughs> but she dies. <laughs> like she's straight up dead. Like she's gone. Uh, no bringing her back. And then we find out that she's the ex-wife of Dr. Traff. Yep. <laughs> Who's also is the, the son is actually there too, the one I was telling you about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do have that scenario. Elmer. <laughs> Elmer dreams of Anubis. Uh, who else happens in here? Oh, oh, this is when, uh, uh, Dr. Stegman finds out about his car. This is the episode <laughs> when he finds out his car has been demolished and he goes ballistic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And we got another earthquake. Yep. Okay. And we got Mrs. Drews is back because Mrs. Drews, uh, Stegman had her check him out or whatever. I forget what it's called. Dis- uh, Dismissed or whatever it's called. Uh, but they were able to bring her back in, right? Dr. Hook and them because he wants, he knows there's a spirit there or something. Discharge. Discharge. Thank you. So Dr. Hook wants her to stay. Because he knows something's going on, and he knows that she's got something going on with ability, right? Yeah. So they basically him and one of the nurse doctors ends <laughs> up giving her Novocaine to make her mouth numb, right? <laughs> yeah. And they go to uh, Ed Bagley's character, Jesse Jane, Doctor Jesse James, and tells him like, "We need to bring her back in." And he says, "Oh, really?" He said, "Yeah." He said, "Under what cause?" And they're talking about how that she had the numbness in her arm, but, you know, droopiness in the face and all this. He says, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he said, I, I think uh, Dr. Hook tells her, like, I think we should, you know, leave her in here for like a week. And he says, <laughs> and Dr. Jesse looks at I think we should do at least 10 days. So Dr. Hook's like, well, fuck yeah. Hell yeah. Yep. <laughs> 10 days even better. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes in to check on her and sure enough, her mouth's all drooping and everything. And she even tells him, like, it almost feels like Novocaine. <laughs> Bitch, they got you in there. Shut up before you ruin this thing. Uh, But anyway, so she's brought in, and and now she's roaming the halls again, trying to find Mary and try to reunite the doll and all these things going on. So we got that scenario going, love. There's also the uh, fact that we got a lot of characters coming in, or not a lot of characters, but we got a ritual coming up. That we're going to be performing, or not a ritual, I guess it's a rite of passage where 
Dr. Stegman has got to be sworn into sworn into the the club, so to speak. <laughs> so we got that getting ready to happen. A lot of things fixing to happen. Then you get into episode six, which is the young and the headless. You heard it right. Oh, by the way, that last episode, love hooks King or which one was uh, West Side of Midnight dropped from seven point one to five point four. We're also we're also introduced to Paul on that one, the very end, because he comes and speaks to the the prisoner. Oh yeah, and says there is a lady searching, an old lady. Yeah, don't let her in here, or don't don't let him say anything. Yeah, you know? okay, that's right, that's right. So we see a big drop in rating once again. We're dropping from seven point one down <laughs> to five point four now. And then episode five is Hook's Kingdom. Uh, Hook's Kingdom, uh, Paul and Anubis, they face off, right? There's a earthquake. You know, he causes a, a thing to fall on him, right? The beam, yeah. Yeah, he tries to hurt the Anubis, and he makes a beam fall on him. And during that time, Mary uh, is going to Peter to try to get him to help her uh, save or find Anubis. She don't know where he's at, but she knows he's hurt. So Peter... In a outer body experience type scenario, his body's still in the hospital, but he's able to roam around because the spirit of Peter starts walking. I know it sounds weird, but <laughs> the, the spirit of Peter and Mary start walking around, and uh, they're trying to find Antipas, and they do find him mm-hmm. finally. Right? They're able to protect him. They're able to get the pole off of him and save him, somewhat to speak. And that's when he had said the scenario, you know, "You help me, I help you," kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that kind of worked out. Uh, what else we got in this episode, Hook's Kingdom? Uh, oh, this is where the <laughs> this is where one of the patients dies. There's a homeless guy <laughs> pre- before it happens in the hospital. He's over there in a uh, shelter, and there's a priest there, and they're having like a, a weekly meeting where they get together and they tell their problems or their stories, and they help each other out. Well, one guy ends up going. He goes cuckoo because it's like a spirit comes in him and starts telling him all these different things. And he's doing all these, uh, quoting all these things in rhyme. And he ends up hurting, trying to hurt him and uh, starts smashing his head. Anyways, he ends up uh, going to the hospital. He ends up dying. And while he dies, one of the doctors says, man, he kind of looks like so-and-so, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Which is Elmer, Taff. Elmer, which he's in love with one of the female doctors. Yeah, he loves there. the elderly, or one of the older doctors. She's cute. She's yeah. definitely cute. But uh, Elmer and this other doctor, you know, he goes in to see his the guy that had died. And he's like, see? And he puts his glasses on. And he says, look, he looks just like you. And he's like, I don't see it. So they end up shaving him, right? <laughs> and he's kind of like, oh, wow. Well, he ends up, the Elmer ends up going in when nobody's there and, and severs his head. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? Because he's so trying that, to get back at the at the lady doctor for mm-hmm. denying him a relationship, right? Because <laughs> she said it just shouldn't happen. But he's too young for her. So we end up having a body that ends up doing a whole walking around the the hospital, headless, trying to find his head. <laughs> like what? So here's this body walking around headless, and he's bumping into stuff. And then he ends up getting united with his head. And there's a scene where he's in a shower without his head. As he puts his head on a chair and he's got a hair, one of them hair blower things. And he puts that and he starts blowing the hair dry. 
while he's showering for like forever. He's like scrubbing. I'm like, what am I watching here? Like, dude, I'm not legit. Like, there's scenes in here where they break out into full like dance mode and, and singing right in the middle of a surgery. Like, this show has all this goofiness, right? Mm-hmm. It's just weird. It's just weird. Uh, but this one, we do have the headless body walking around. Uh, we also, what else we got in this one, love? Just the fact of more earthquake again and mm-hmm. Mary and uh, Aardvark, I can't tell you the name right. Yeah, Anubis. <laughs> yeah. Where, you know, since he got helped, mm-hmm. he goes to help him as well because we don't see it yet until the next episode, but we see that the old lady kind of figures out who to go to that might know her name. Yeah. Because one of the her friends was dying helps them pass the light but she says before you die before you go to the light do me a favor answer me some questions because mm. you'll be able to see her and she gets that information and yeah but while she's in there she goes and hides in the bathroom because she sees <laughs> <laughs> it's just weird it, it... it's weird pointing it out and talking about it but it's one of those things that you just gotta check in and watch you gotta see it to believe it right yeah and here's my question to you as we're getting ready to come up to our last episode that we're going to review tonight. Uh, episode 6 ended with 3.7, so it dropped from 5.1 to 3.7 million viewers. And then the last episode that we're reviewing part 1 of our show tonight is Black Noise, which only had 3.5 million viewers. And episode 7 is when we do have the corpse washing the body, the whole nine yards, Elmer's suspected of cutting the head off and all this stuff, which he did. So we have a lot of these things going on. This is where the the lawyer guy has the heart attack mm-hmm. in courtroom. He shows up. Nobody wants to work on him because he's a high, you know, a recognizable lawyer <laughs> that goes after people for malpractice and stuff. So they're like, oh, don't touch him. Nobody wants to touch him. So they do this whole skit where they basically like have three different cameras. Dr. Hook says, Roll three different cameras. I want you from three different angles. And he starts telling them, you know, I'll do this if you buy. And he's just laying everything out he's going to do. And he makes them sign a waiver, you know, while he's laying there And dying. Then, And there's the odd parts in certain parts of the show here and there. You get singing. You get dancing. And you're and wondering what the hell. Yes. Are they singing over either a dead corpse yes. or working on surgery or something? I mean, it's maybe not real, but it's that moment of like, what what the fuck? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you got to watch it to understand. It sounds goofy, and it is goofy. Like, I'm going to be straight up honest. It is goofy. And I'm going to give you this this question. I want to hear your answer on this. We're seven episodes in. Is it been, has it been a fun show? Is it something that you're into, you're interested, you want to finish it out? Do you know where it's going? You know, what what's your thoughts so far on seven episodes? Well, for me, I would definitely check out the whole thing. I would keep watching it if I had the time or, you know, and stuff like that. I think that was the only reason why it went down because you have to stick with it fully in order to understand it. If you're only seeing one episode per week, you're going to kind of forget what you saw. Or you're going to forget, you know, seeing the next episode. And if you start catching up, it's it's not going to make sense to you. Yeah. And that's how it probably went down because it shouldn't have done that. It should have kept on going. Yeah. And this was going to be another season, but uh, it got it got pushed back because of NBA finals and all this stuff. And I guess they just never did come back to it. 
unfortunately. We haven't got to the end of this, so I don't know how this thing ended in season one. Yeah. My thing is right now, it's good. I'm not going to say it's not good. It is good. It's just weird, right? And I'm intrigued now because I'm seven episodes in and I got to know where it's going. I got to know, does Mary end up, you know... Well, you're intrigued too because it's like you hate someone and you know they did wrong, but they get karma. Yeah. It's like in in this last episode, the prisoner had no problem going to Peter, almost attempting to burn him to death. But if it wasn't for the artwork, mm-hmm. helping him in return, he made the prisoner burn himself and off in flames he went. Yeah. But he didn't die again. No, but he's put in another room. With the lawyer that put him away to prison. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where the last episode that we watched yeah. is at. He's staring at him and he knows who he is. He's like, oh shit. <laughs> so I can't wait for episode eight to see where this gets. Yeah. Uh, but right now, that's where we're dropped off at. We do get to see the seismologist is here to about the studying of the earthquakes, but he's in the hospital, like legit something going on. There's a scene where he says his feet are burning and he nobody knows why, but... When he looks down, he sees all these fire ants all over his feet. You know, so he sees that, but they don't. So we got that scenario going on. What else we got in this one? Uh, Once again, he does get a new roommate, which is that guy, the seismologist. Let's see. Let's see. Mrs. Drews. We still got Mrs. Drews. Uh, She ends up getting uh, some more information. So we got that scenario going on. So that's kind of where we're at, La. Yeah. Uh, so overall, I mean, this is a fun series. It's interesting enough to keep me invested. Is it one of his best? No, I, I would love like Storm of the Century is a mini series. I know it's a totally different. It's a totally different scenario. Okay, Storm of the Century was made to be a three part mini series, and that's what it was. Kind of like uh, Rose Red and some of his other stuff. This is a full blown like supposed to be a TV series, and uh, so it plays a little different for me. But still, overall, I'm still excited about it. I can't wait to get into 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. There's 13 total episodes. Uh, So I can't wait to get to the end of this. Unfortunately, I don't know how this one will finish, love. I hope it doesn't leave us on a hook. I hope not either. (laughs) Because that's what's going to irritate me. Because it wasn't finished, per se. They did want to continue it. So it's telling me that there's supposed to be... That it's not finished. It's not finished. So just hopefully they wrap up what we need to have wrapped up. Because it's going to frustrate me if I get to the end of this DVD. I'm I'm left with a a plot hole. I remember when people, like I never watched the show Lost. Yeah. But I remember when that got canceled, how so many people were writing to uh, the executives and different people saying like, you got to finish this story because they never fully finished it evidently. And I think they eventually did come back and do something to wrap it up. It, it, that's what sucks about stuff getting canceled, right? Yeah. So uh, Kingdom Hospital, we do own the DVD. It's a uh, cool set right here. It's not nothing you know extravagant, but it's still it's cool enough. It's got two cases. You got four discs, a total of 608 minutes long. And uh, there's some bonus features on the DVD we got that uh, we'll try to get into hopefully by the next episode, maybe look at a little bit of the visual effects and everything. So overall, I think the acting love is is pretty good in this one. I think the visual effects suffer, and rightfully so, because it was filmed in 2004. Uh, so I know there's some hokiness going on with CGI that we can see now. It just doesn't 
It doesn't translate over well now as we're watching it, but still, for the time, it was probably pretty darn good. Yeah. I mean, how how real can you make an anteater with a long mouth and teeth? How <laughs> how good are you going to make that look on TV? Right. Regardless, I mean, it's still decent. I think the story's okay. The acting's decent. Overall, man, I, I'm excited to get into the next part of it. I am too. So, what else you got on this one, love? Anything um, else you want to mention or talk about on it? No, actually, I'm just w- waiting for the next ones. I mean, we come to find out the symbol on the Kingdom Hospital is actually the death sign. Ooh. So, it's literally saying Death Kingdom Hospital. <laughs> Ooh. And we know they're trying to sell it once again. Yeah. That Dr. Stegman, because they brought in the seismologist, he thinks that he's supposed to come in and cure the earthquakes. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> All it is is that Dr. Jesse James wants him to come in and prove that it has nothing to do with spirits, right? There's nothing haunting going on here that it's just seismic and it just happens, right? Yeah. But we as viewers know differently. <laughs> oh, no, there's something definitely spirits going on. I do like, uh, I, we didn't mention this, but I do like Dr. Hook's uh, lair. Like yeah. Dr. Hook lives here, and it's down in the basement of this hospital. He has his own golf cart that he drives, and he drives like this corridor, and it's forever. It almost reminds you of Day of the Dead, uh, down when they're down in the shaft of Day of the Dead, and he's got all these rooms. Well, he's got his own bedroom set up down there. He's also got some stuff that, uh, well, he ain't love, like some Dr. Stuff down there too, <laughs> but he's kind of cool. He ends up taking the one lady down there, the lady doctor, and uh, kind of woos her down there. <laughs> it's it, it's just his doctor cave. He's Batman. <laughs> he's Batman. He's Batman. Which is weird because all of them sleep there. Which I guess is kind of normal. I think you were talking about. Yeah, normal. Uh, the doctors. A lot of doctors sleep. do sleep on campus or on site because a lot of them are on call or whatever. Uh, but for me, it's just weird. It's odd. But uh, it's cool. We're going to get into this uh, part two on the next episode. We'll be looking at episodes eight through 13. So if you haven't checked them out yet, watch the whole series, uh, hour-long episodes. The first one's two hours. Go ahead and get into it. Check it out. If nothing else, uh, be with us on the next episode as we talk eight through 13. Uh, so that's kind of where we're at. Anything else you want to talk about, love? Like maybe stuff that we've been watching or anything. I know we've been gearing up for 2023, our top, uh, five horror movies of 2023. So we've got that going on. I, I mean, I don't know. Cause I mean, it's really hard to put my top 2023. I mean, I'm ready for it. I think my list is, is a little different because of the fact that as much, as much as the good ones were like Megan and like. You know, the Godzilla one and like just overall a lot of those. Mm. For me, if 2023 felt like the year for foreign films. Okay. I mean, a lot of my, like you got Argentina, you got Mexico, and then you got like Korea and Japan. Like they had a lot of strong movies in horror. Yeah. So, you know, that's more or less where I'm at. Okay. Have you been watching anything recently that you wanted to mention out here or anything like that or anything that you've seen? Because I haven't really been watching a lot of, of movie movies the last couple of weeks. I've been kind of uh, preparing myself for the episodes and doing things like that. So. Well, the only thing I've been watching um, lately, um, I'm on the season four because it's the new one for 2023 to 2024. Mm-hmm. But it's that... Uh, I think it's called True Detectives, but yeah. it has Jodie Foster. Yeah. 
kind of a little creepy. Okay. I think some of the uh, group members have been watching that as well. Yeah. It's not bad at all. I mean, I would say give it a watch. What's it on? Oh, gosh. Um, I think it's on Max. Okay. Um, don't fully quote me on that, but just type it in and see yeah. where it's streaming. True because... Detectives, check it out. Uh, I know, like I said, some of you are watching that along with her. Uh, I've not seen any of that one yet. I think right now it's more people are focusing more on series because a lot of series are coming out yeah. more than movies right now. True. I mean, if you look on, on Shudder and you look on Max and, you know, Hulu, there's a lot of series popping up. Mm. And they're not playing around. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, good for them. I, I try to invest in series, but I can't do a lot of them. But um, anyway, so we're going to wrap this thing up. We Our top five horror movies of 2023 is uh, coming up. And he's um, so we got that coming up on the next episode. So uh, I cannot wait for you guys to hear that. And uh, then we'll be getting to our 1971, our top five horror movies of 1971 is coming up, love. Yeah. That's going to be a dude. Because <laughs> I've already done a little bit of looking ahead and there's some damn good ones on that. So if you want to go ahead and call in for your uh, top horror movies of 1971, you go ahead and do that now. 1-804-569-5682, right, love? Yep. Go ahead and get that in so we can hear from you. So what do you got in closing, love? That hopefully you give Kingdom Hospital a watch and maybe catch up with us since we'll be doing that on the follow-up the next week. That's right. So stay tuned for that. With that said, uh, you can follow uh, Pearl over on Letterboxd. She's there. And on the main LOTC group page, of course. Exactly. Anywhere I'm at. Anywhere you're at. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can follow me at Facebook, Instagram, X, uh, Letterbox, YouTube, all in places, tw- uh, TikTok, anywhere you want to. Just look me up. You'll find me somewhere. Uh, if you need anything, you always email us at gregamortis666 at gmail.com. It's G-R-E-G-A-M-O-R-T-I-S-666 at gmail.com. And until next time, like we always like to say, Help keep horror alive. Like do that one movie time, one review at a time. We'll see you on the flip side. Peace. Wow. <laughs>